Professor, explain the ghoul log to me again. I'm not sure what there is to explain. It's just a it's a 60 minute long video of a spooky jack o' lantern that you I don't know play at Christmas. Uh, no, not Christmas. The spook, uh, Halloween, the spooky one uh, yeah, yeah. to like to like up the spooks. So I've got like it's so strange that the the spooky holiday Halloween yep. uh, and the charming holiday Crumble Crumble are so close to each other. And recently, um, I was in a department store. And I saw they were just, Halloween was over. I say recently, it was 10 months ago. Yeah. And they were taking down all the Halloween. You were going for your customary uh, post-Halloween uh, department store peruse? Oh, customary is too light a word. It, uh, it, regimented. It, it, yes, it's almost a religious observance for you. Yeah. And as I saw them taking down all the, the Halloween decorations, mm. they're putting up Christmas ones. And the juxtaposition of iconography was so great. Uh, that I went home and I wrote a poem uh, about it. Uh, yeah, uh, the the poem is called "A Nightmare Before Christmas," and that. And recently, I've been making quite good friends with a stop motion animator by the name of Henry Selick. Oh, I, I thought the name was Tim Burton. No, no, no. The reveal in this story is that I'm Tim Burton because <laughs> okay. that's the actual. That's actually how he got the idea. Okay. Sorry, I got the idea. What's that, honey? That's just my wife, ex-wife, <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter, oh, in the other room. You two, you two break up. Yeah, yeah, but we still live together. You still live together. You still, you still like, hang out with, with, with David Cameron a lot? Yeah. yeah. If there's one person I love and jives with me, yes. it's David Cameron. Or, or D- Davy, as, as you call him. Um, the man who almost single-handedly destroyed a nation. Yep. Uh, and certainly undid the whole Irish peace process. I, Tim Burton... The, 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 the man who helped make Black Mirror a reality. Yeah. Um, I mean... By, hey, by, wh- by, by, by being a prime minister who fucked a pig. I'm t- yeah, no, I was... Yeah. Like, I don't think when David Cameron was fucking that pig, and because that's part of what you do at the Bullington Club, so we have to assume that Boris Johnson has also Ab- fucked a pig. Absolutely. I don't think either of them were like... Or just like in Black Mirror. Charlie Brooker's going to have a field day with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway, that, 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 that's not my intro. <laughs> Finn, what, I want to define a term. I want to define two terms because uh, there's a lot of talk in, in film world about spoilers, right? Mm. Um, which is a real problem uh, because th- almost everything people are like, oh, don't spoil me. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm just like it. What's important is how it happens, not mm. what happens, right? Um, and so I can kind of, but like spoilers exist as a cemented idea. Mm. So what I propose is a secondary classification, which are called spoilers that actually matter. Um, you know, you children, like, do you, the night after. I, I saw uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi, the best and final Star Wars film. Yeah. Um, and then I went to do open mic stand-up comedy about it the next day. Uh, and I was describing a scene in it which revealed no plot <laughs> information. I was describing an image of someone looking in a mirror. Hmm. And uh, a room full of comedians, normally mature people, started saying spoilers and covered their ears. That genuinely happened to me in Revel Cafe. 
Um, and as you know, I'm from guessing one of them was Luke Callahan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just remember being like, "Do you genuinely believe?" <laughs> That I would come out here and ruin uh, something for I, you. I've only you got know? six minutes. Why would I waste some yeah. bit? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, the dead speak. <laughs> um, There's an exclamation point at the end. It's the dead speak. <laughs> Mother. Um, uh, uh, but so, and like, but obviously there are things about films that ruin. Yes. That, that ruin them. So well, I think whether or not a piece of information about a film is a spoiler or not. I mean, it's sort of related to, like, the quality of a movie in a certain sense. I, no, like, I like I don't rate The Sixth Sense that bad, mm. but, like, actually giving away the ending of The Sixth Sense is a, is a ruin and not a spoiler. Well, sure, but I mean, like, like, how big the piece of information is that you give away, whether or not it's a spoiler, is, like, on a sliding scale of how big the movie, uh, how good the movie is. Yeah. So, like, it, like if, if you say, like, oh, if you say, you say like, fr- from dusk till dawn, halfway through it turns into a vampire movie, yeah. that's not a spoiler. No. Cause, no, no, I, that... Uh, under my terms, mm. we're still defining terms. Yeah. That's a spoiler, which I think is fine. Yeah. It's not a ruiner. A spoiler is any information past literally like the poster and maybe the trailer. Yeah. Um But and and but of course there are some cases like uh as terrible as it was, uh Terminator Genesis putting the fact that the bad guy is John Connor uh, in the trailer is putting a ruiner in the trailer. Right. Unfortunately, the other ruiner, the cast's performances, was also in the trailer. Um, and I think... It, it, I, I just want to be clear about mm. those terms because it, it's interesting how uh, uh, a film changes when you go into knowing the twist. Yep. Like, um, uh, on, on Sunday, you and I um, made a merry trip to the pictures um we held hands uh, and picked daisies and we were in a bright happy mood <laughs> and so we thought do you know what would make this any better if we watched <laughs> park chan wook's vengeance trilogy that, that sounds like a fun romp sympathy for mr vengeance a laugh a minute <laughs> excoration uh of how capitalism makes the working classes turn on each other absolutely um uh, old boy, which is, uh, I mean, it's old boy. Um, <laughs> old boy, which is a very silly film. And if you haven't seen old boy, <laughs> see old boy. It was my, uh, maybe third or fourth time seeing mm. old boy. Yeah, it was, it was my, my, my first time seeing old boy. But old boy is a film which has a capital T twist one, in it. One, one of yeah it ha- it has it has a crazy twist. It ha- and it has a twist that I think knowing it going into the film I'm sad for you cuz you didn't cuz it was spoiled for you. Yeah it was. Yeah. Um by uh famous emotional terrorist Jenny Jaffe. <laughs> uh, I'm going to no. <laughs> anyway, I was spoke for you so you don't get to see it for a first time. And I think that fundamentally changes kind of how you engage with that film. Because that, like... Yes. Yeah. Because, yeah. um, like, is that your least favourite of the three? All three of those movies yeah. are pretty much equal for me. I think they're all very good. Yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, I, I think that, 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 that is one that I, that, I got, that I got the least out of. And I think a large part of that is that that whole film is built to be like, for you to be like, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? Yeah. It could be, no. And then being like, what? <laughs> what? 
what? <laughs> and not engaging with that on those terms. And so it's interesting, like, what we learn about films before we see them. And I, w- I want us to explore that. So I've, uh, at random, picked two films that I think analyze that mm. uh, uh, in two very different ways. Uh, remember Yee Yee? Uh, you you mean uh, the the film that, that we both watched together and immediately said, "Oh, this is one of the best films we've, we've both ever seen." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah. I, how how could I forget? Um, I mean, maybe you've had some kind of serious head trauma. Um, uh, no, no, you know that that does sound like something I'd do. <laughs> The thing is, I I, I think I, it sounds like something that would happen to you. I the thing is, like, I love uh, doing parkour on roller skates, and so I've had a lot of serious head trauma. <laughs> I don't know who is being insulted there: parkourists or roller skaters. Um, you know, I'm I'm more comfortable insulting roller skaters uh, because I I can get away from them easier. <laughs> oh, again, you should watch Boogie Nights and see how wrong <laughs> how wrong you are. Um, yeah, we're just talk- we're talking about Boogie Nights. Finn hasn't seen Boogie Nights because he's a big old virgin. And <laughs> I mean, and, and like yes, and also I hate Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, but. Yeah. You'll sp- yeah, you'll spend the first hour of that film being like, really? And then being like, yes, <laughs> this is what I want. I want Mark Wahlberg thinking he can sing <laughs> and everyone knowing he's wrong. Like, and, and John C. Riley just looking disappointedly at him. Um, uh, yeah, and or like Alfred Molina threatening him with a shotgun. You're like, yeah, this is the the film I want. Um uh, uh, well, it turns out he's made a new film, uh, a new film that he made nine years <laughs> before Yee Yee. Uh, it's called A Brighter Summer Day. I decided to pair it with a film that's similar in, in some ways. Mm. It's a concept for a podcast I'm working on. <laughs> and so I read the description on Wikipedia, just the short one mm. uh, of A Brighter Summer Day, and I saw that it says that there's a big shift in tone and plot mm. halfway through uh, and it's labeled as like a crime drama and i think going into that film even with that information kind of lessens the experience of watching it and then it gets to the matter of the title of the film in its original language is the equivalent uh, uh, of naming naming six cents Man who is dead all along. <laughs> um, in a way that I think is very uh, interesting and, and mm. strange, but also makes it, I think, actually quite a tough film to talk about because so much of it is experiential, like Yee Yee. Yeah. Um, and the other film I chose to pair it with uh, is, of course, From Dusk Till Dawn, um, which is kind of at the other end of the scale of like how much you go into a film knowing about. Yeah, which is like since since that came out in like ninety yeah. six, every single person has known this turns yeah. into a vampire movie halfway through. Yeah, and like it, it absolutely does not lessen the experience at all to, no. to know that. Uh, uh, well, and, and in fact, like uh, I think it, it gives you something to look forward to <laughs> during the during the first half oh, of the movie. Man. Yeah, no, uh, Dust or Dawn is a game of two halves, <laughs> uh, and, and half has vampires in it and the other half shouldn't be in the film um i have known like of films that i haven't seen and have never really intended to see Mm. i feel like i know i have known the most about dusk till dawn before i saw it right yeah Uh, and that's my that's my intro that that's me kind of doing the work of making the the connection. I was like, I, I kind of also wanted to talk about Bill and Ted 3 because I feel like all of my conversation around that is 
is based on Ruiners for Bill and Ted right. 3. Yeah. Um, uh, but we can do that another time. We can yeah. do it. Well, um, see, this whole lucky thing is, like, there are no longer Ruiners for Bill and Ted 3 because everyone went to see it and it's the most popular movie of all time and so everyone already knows all the stuff that happens. Um, oh, would... would would that that was true? Like, I mean, it's doing very like, well on video on demand in America. Uh, like that, that's good. Like I, I think if if Bill and Ted Free had done like had like had the sort of box office that like uh, you you and I both hope it would have had. Yeah, uh, I think that might have actually been the thing that united the world. Yeah, no. Uh, it's, it's, if 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 it did Sonic the Hedgehog numbers. Yeah, yeah. Considering that it's basically for the same market as Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> and is Just men, men, who, men who haven't grown up yet. Yeah, yeah. Imagine how good. Why isn't Ben Schwartz somewhere in Bill and Ted Face the Music? Oh, he 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 was too he was too busy doing improv with Thomas Middleditch. Oh uh, yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but I've heard I've heard those shows are fantastic. Oh, I don't know. Like they are clearly talented. Mm. But recording improv yeah, yeah. is like, are you an aura in the 90s? Because you're just not capturing the magic, in my opinion. <laughs> are you someone who's bad at arresting card games? Because you're playing <laughs> capture the magic. Collectible card games. Yes. Do you know why it's called Magic the Gathering? Because uh, it's about gathering magic? No, The Gathering is like um, was supposed to be a subtitle that would change each year. Oh, okay. Uh, but then people liked Magic the Gathering. Yeah, so it's, it's a good title. It's evocative I of mean, magic and gatherings. And yeah, I could never, I never understood it. It always seemed. Have you, do you, are you a magic head? Uh, so I, I a gatherer. I, sorry. So I, I, I have a, I have a friend who like uh, who lives in Napier who I, I go down and see like every. Uh, like at least like once a year, and he he's a big uh, Magic the Gathering fan. Yeah, magician. Sorry. Yeah. And so the, 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 like last time I, I went to see him, uh, every single day I was down in Napier. Uh, me and him and his girlfriend would just go down to the like local uh, like hobby shop and play Magic. Yeah. And uh, like me, me me and his girlfriend are not good at Magic, so we'd no. have to sit by ourselves and play Magic yeah. while him and his other friends would play uh, proper Magic. Okay. Was that? Are you? Have you recovered? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, no. It just seems yeah. like a a strange thing to do in Napier. I mean, look, what else are you going to do in Napier? Uh, I, I, I went, I went kayaking one day. Did you go to the Sea World place? Uh, no, I've been, I've been there before. Yeah. Um, and there's the the Art Deco Museum. No, I didn't go there. Uh, and I remember that there's a cinema there that has an arcade that has the full six player Simpsons console. Oh, well, I in went, it. I, I went to the movie theater and I saw yeah. Cats. Oh no! Yeah, that, that that was the first time I saw cats. They, they should get an exterminator. And what film were you seeing <laughs> that was interrupted by these felines? Uh, uh, this this is uh, this is hilarious material. And <laughs> yeah, I think, no, no, no. Uh, like you might not think of it. Like this is stuff we wrote ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is pre-planned bits. This is. <laughs> Wait, I I've always thought that this podcast would be improved by us writing it ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, and this bit now, including this me saying this. <laughs> I think is a great improvement. Um, but yeah, so uh, the, the, like that, 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 that was that was the first time I saw cats. It was like uh, it was you the, had not seen a cat until last year. That was the first time I saw the Tom Hooper film Cats, oh. twenty nineteen. Uh, so it was I think like the oh, like the the twenty eighth of December last oh, yeah. year. 
And uh, I, I couldn't laugh at it because there were a bunch of old people in the audience. So I felt like we were there to like, just genuinely see a movie. And and so I wanted to be like respectful of their space. Oh, no. You know, I, I don't want to be like some like ironic dipshit from <laughs> Auckland coming in and ruining their nice, like all authentic Napier film going experience. Well, and that, you know, there's, there's a lot of gang activity in Napier. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to get like the Andrew Lloyd Webber heads with gang connections <laughs> you know uh, what's his name Christopher Bucket what which you... one is James Corden James Corden played the character of Buster for Jones uh, Buster for Jones you, you may remember him from the song about being Buster for Jones I... which opens <laughs> I'm Buster for Jones I'm not skin and bones in fact I'm enormously fat <laughs> yeah oh man this is the way the world ends yep. not with the bang but with a Buster for Jones um is there? I rarely experience. You know when people are like, ah, oh, what a punchable face. Yeah, there are very rarely moments in my life where I'm like, I the overwhelming thing I want to do right now is to physically assault someone. Like there have been moments. There was a guy who once very sarcastically said to me, "Do you even know what comedy is?" <laughs> uh, and I felt an incredible surge of anger and adrenaline through my body, and I was like, "Oh, I understand now. I understand why fist fights start." <laughs> but also, do you remember James Corden and uh, Rebel Wilson uh, uh, at the Oscars, and, just like shitting on visual effects people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when anyone's work is lazy in that film yeah it is it's, it's james Corden and rebel wilson yeah uh and i yeah i just how how yeah dare they this is all it feels like the podcast is essentially us very slowly trailing essentially do, eventually doing like a six hour episode on cat i mean i i, I wouldn't put it past us and uh, like because i his I mean, not not to get too far into in, into our cat into our upcoming cats episode, our but cats like, cast. Uh, but like, oh, sorry, our podcasts. Yes, thank you. Um, I don't think cats is a bad movie, and I'm willing to uh, talk for a very long time about that belief. I mean, you just empirically wrong. No, no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm questioning everything I know. You you are being allowed to study film at a postgraduate level. Absolutely. At a university that makes a lot of noise about being the best in the country. Okay, when everyone he, knows Victoria University is okay, better. Like, he, here's the thing though, like there are there are creationists with PhDs in biology. Right? Like you like <laughs> give like <laughs> Ha- 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 having an advanced degree it just means you put the work in it doesn't mean you actually know anything um, but um, oh god this feels like <laughs> but uh, so I, I i i i do not think the cats is a good movie but i also don't think it's a bad movie i, I think it is a movie that transcends notions of both good and bad and uh, by being bad, <laughs> and, and we, we will someday talk about that for six hours. Yeah, no, I feel like the key piece of work is is that I need to talk Briar into watching it, and yeah. she refuses to. Uh, and um, if you're listening, tweet her at, at <laughs> underscore raw library saying. Watch Cats, You Coward. Just to be clear, I'm not asking you to do it in like a fun, entertaining podcast and joke way. Yufa genuinely wants you to cyberbully his girlfriend. (laughs) I want you to create (laughs) multiple sock puppet accounts. Uh, uh, And I want you to just really make her social media timeline unusable. And that way she'll put down her damn phone. Kids <laughs> these days. Have you not seen the social dilemma? Um, that explains to me about how phone bad. 
Hello and welcome to Shape and Sound, a podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow up with a group of reviled film that is somewhere in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors, or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insight. On this episode, we're watching number 88 on the Sight and Sound list, A Brighter Summer Day, Edward Young's four-hour-long drama about young people drawn into a life of crime in 1960s Taiwan. Our second film this week is From Dust Till Dawn, Quentin Tarantino's $19 million excuse to get a foot in his mouth. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's what that movie is. Yeah, it is hard to. We made a joke because while Yang obviously has a style across his films, it was interesting how little clear overlap. You know, like you could look at the images and be like, obviously how this is composed work and like the style and the flow. Yeah, and the, I mean, like both films are like this, uh, I'd say more of it than Yi Yi, is very much about like dealing with increasing American influence in Asia in like a post-World War II. Yeah, yeah A Brighter Summer Day is kind of a gangster film. Mm. If feels in some ways like modelled after The Godfather or Goodfellas. Yeah, uh, while we were watching it, I was like, there are a bunch of points where I was like, this feels like if the first hour of Once Upon a Time in, in America yeah. was the whole length of Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah, it, it, it's a four-hour film. Does not feel like it. I uh, With the pointed caveat that it is good and you should watch it, I think it I think it does feel four hours long, but that's not at all an issue. Do you know what I mean? I mean it, it, it's, it doesn't feel four hours long, but it's like boring at any oh, point. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely, absolutely not. But it's, it's, it feels denser than Yee Yee in a way. Yeah. Um, even though it, uh, Yee Yee was kind of split across three narratives, whereas this much more firmly follows one and so you get more incident uh, in a way and yeah. yeah no like this is and so it, this is the third longest movie I've watched this week okay uh, explain yourself the first longest film I've watched this week uh, is a film called uh, it's a film called The Forest of Love Deep Cut by Japanese director Sion Sono and if you ever want to have an incredibly bad time for uh, two to three days uh, watch uh, The Forest of Love or The Forest of Love Deep Cut uh, because those are movies with just incredibly horrifying imagery and uh, the the sort of characters and performances uh, that will make you wish uh, that uh, you weren't alive. <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's an incredible film. I uh, highly recommend it. Uh, please don't watch it. Yeah, I look and forward then, to never seeing that film yeah, in my life. And then the uh, other film I watched this week is another film by Sion Sono, which is called Love Exposure, uh, which is also four hours long. Yeah. Uh, and that, that is a movie about a young boy uh, uh, whose father is a Catholic priest uh, who is obsessed with confession and uh, forces his son to confess all the time. So his son uh, becomes a criminal in order to have things to confess to his dad uh, and then gets drawn into the world of illicit upskirt photography. It's a, a real weird movie. Look forward to seeing that one. No, no. Uh, it's, it's basically a romantic comedy, yeah, but no, it's four I... hours long and has uh, ultraviolence at certain points. Well, that, which you could also in some ways describe A Brighter Summer Day as, uh, yes. in some ways. Because like, as much as we dwelt on the crime aspect uh, of the film, it's very much seen through the eyes of this young guy. Mm. This, is, this is the thing. I, I don't know how much of the plot of this film we should tell to our audience. No, I, I, I think we should keep it fairly, fairly minimal. And, I, the, and like, I would extend that to don't learn what the 
original title of the film is. Yeah. There is stuff about the tone shift that I really want to talk about. Yeah. We can we can maybe get, get to some of that stuff. I'm just aware people hopefully listen to this not having seen the films, mm. uh, uh, and so they can await our verdicts. But yeah... It, it's it's about this uh, young guy whose uh, whose name I cannot remember currently. Uh, his name is Zhang Jin, and we're introduced to him with the kind of the guy who runs the school he attends, mm. telling his dad, uh, "So your son's a real idiot." No, he do, he doesn't say it in those no, terms. Like, at the start of the movie, he's just gotten like bad marks on on yeah. on, a, on a test. Uh, he he usually gets really good marks, but on yeah. this one, he he only got like fifty percent, and yeah. so he's going to have to uh, start doing uh, like night school classes to to uh, to to catch up. Yep. Uh, and then, oh, we, should, we should say like where the film is set. Oh, uh, yeah. The film is set in Taiwan. Uh, it's set in 1960. And so it's very much about generations of people who, who have fled uh, China post World War II in order to escape. Uh, in order to escape uh, uh, from. Uh, in order to escape from communists. With the added irony that 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 they. Uh, which they talk about a couple of times, which is that they, uh, like uh, Taiwan, um, of all the places that Japan was not great to in World War II, um, uh, Taiwan was one of the worst affected, and and they had already started rebuilding there. So these are... um, these are people who ten years ago had to flee here uh, uh, from from the communists and after uh, mm. having just fought the Japanese and are now uh, living in Japanese houses. Yeah, um, and a um, thing we couldn't pick up on the film, but from my understanding of reading a couple of things, is that a, a, a large part of the dynamic of the film is between people who speak with a Taiwanese accent and people who speak with a quote unquote. Uh, specific Chinese accent. Right, yeah. Um, which we can't understand because we're... I, I always mean before ever seeing a film to learn the whole language that it's in, but I'm just... I'm just not able to. I do not have that time in front of me. No, you, 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 you waste all, all that time learning Klingon for those Star Trek movies and now... Now your brain's full up of all the languages you're ever going to know. I'm sad that I even know one word in Klingon. Oh, Batleth. I know about yeah. Oh, no. I, I was about to say something. I was like, oh, no, that, that's that's uh, that's Vulcan. I'm fine. <laughs> I was, I was going to say Ponfar. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, what is Ponfar? Well, we don't need to go into it. Yeah. It's, it's when Vulcans get horny. Yeah. Every seven years. And they try murder each other. <laughs> they get so horny that they have to mate or kill someone. Which is sort of what this movie's about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and so, um, uh, the, so we see this kid being told he has to go to night school. Then we have a time dash of about a year. Yeah. Um, and we see that he's now in quote unquote nice night school with a bunch of other, uh, Ne'er-do-wells, Ne'er-do-wells and ruffians. He, he's recently, as in within that year, mm. joined a gang uh, called the Little Park Gang. Yeah. Um, and y- you'd have hoped they could find a bigger park. Uh, and there, the Little Parks Gang um, used to be, uh, is run by a guy named Honey, yep. who uh, is is defined in his absence, um, but who who was a real hit with the ladies, Um he had a girlfriend named Ming, yeah. who is the co-lead uh, of the film. They're enemies of the 217 gang. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, we never find out why they're called the 217 uh, no, gang. No, no, we, uh, we, we don't. It just always makes me think about the Strathmore 44, the Wellington gang named after a bus route. Well, maybe because like, there's always 217 people in the gang. 
like on a one on one in one out yeah. policy. Yeah. Um, like 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 the uh, like in Kill Bill there's a, the the uh, there's the the uh, there's the crazy eighty eights. Oh yeah, that is true. Mm. Um, but there's more. Aren't there more than eighty eight of them? Yeah, I'm I, sure I think that's... that. Yeah, I think that's part of a joke in Kill Bill. I mean. I, I don't consider Kill Bill a particularly light-hearted film. There's gags in it. No, for me, it's about one man, one woman's... No, one man. One man. Uma Thurman. <laughs> no, no, Bill. Bill Carradine um, being like, oh, this woman tried to leave my assassin gang because women are so inconsiderate, so what I'm going to do... Uh, is mess up her wedding, yep. and, and, and then that'll be done, and that's fair. And like as an audience member, I'm like, yeah, obviously that's the fair logical response. Yeah, and then, then you you get up and leave the theater, <laughs> and say, so, you know, it was short, but it was satisfying. Yeah, I was like that. The single shot of that that film was it's like it's like Victoria. It's a <laughs> single shot. Unfortunately, it's about one minute long. Yep. Uh, you, 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 you got up and you sadly said, I didn't, even, I didn't even have time to finish my popcorn. And you sadly stuff your popcorn in the bin as you walk out of the theatre. Yeah, yeah. All, all the rest of the rubes around you still sitting down, watching, munching away like fools. <laughs> so what I can <laughs> only assume is a very boring two hours of credits. Yep, just like in, uh, uh, j- just like in the movie La Floor, which has, <laughs> which has 50 minutes of credits. Is that, there's a film called uh, The 24 Frame Film, which is technically only one second long, um, and then the credits roll uh, for an hour and a half, and, during and which... The, the rest of the movie plays under the credits? Uh, no, it's a making of about oh. the first film. It's a charity thing. Okay, um, that's it, funny. It's less pricky than... It, I think yeah. it's less shitty than it sounds right yeah you know as hilarious as that would be <laughs> these two gangs of kids are very much kind of playing at being in a gang yeah they're, they're pl- everyone has like cool gang nicknames sly uh sex bomb underpants cat and airplane <laughs> uh airplane is my favorite uh, yeah of course there's uh, so there's so many good names <laughs> um and well, they are, and it's kind of split into like a daylight and nighttime world where, like, yeah, yes, it, it's a very jarring moment when, like, an hour and a half into the film, where someone at school uses someone's quote unquote gang name because the worlds have been kind of so separated. Yeah, I mean, from, from like that point on, like, they, they just become like more and more like the exact same world. Um, in a way that is. Uh, haunting and thrilling yeah and a uh, singular like uh, the thing i am trying to do now to kind of get around being like this is the plot is to compare it to films um the only film i can really think of to compare it to is yee yee yeah. um because uh, if you like turns out yee yee not an accident nope this guy was the real deal <laughs> oh, no, like, he knew how to make movies and knew how to make them good i could uh, i could understand a world where edward yang's career is about refining techniques and making the mistakes that learn the lessons that allowed him to build something as effortless as yee yee right yeah, yeah um and now what we've learned is that he he knew how to do that for at least 10 years yeah. um because it is, uh, yeah, it has this ease and this uh, flow yeah. to it that is really hard to capture because, it, yeah, it, it's slow. It Its pace is slow. It does not feel slow and contemplative, but it's never uninteresting. Mm. It's never it's never boring. 
but yeah, so these kids have. Like, kind of... I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure, like, if I can really call someone like one of my favorite directors after only seeing like two of their movies. Yeah, but like, I, I he had to really fuck up the others, right? Yeah, like it's super hard to think of anyone else who like. Who, like, I've seen two movies of and both of them are this good. I think David Lynch... I say David Lynch has not made a bad film. Yeah. I think Paul Thomas Anderson is on that list. Um, but I don't think... The only other person I can think of where two of their films are absolute... Oh, no, like, two of the before films are, like, right. absolute home runs. But you know what I'm saying, yeah. right? It's stunning that, as films, they both feel like magnum opuses that you only make once yeah. of, of a kind of, that you wouldn't attempt to repeat in a way. And that they're so different tonally and in style they're similar. But what they're saying, I think, is quite different. How it feels about its characters yeah. is, is different. It's, um, Brighter Summer Day is it's much more about observing people and mm. the the paths they go through than feeling for them yeah it's, it's like it's also like a much like darker and a much sadder film than than, than you yeah which like has there are a lot of like intense emotions and and like difficult parts of you but like it's it's yeah. still it's still it's still a very like hopeful and like overall like very like light movie well yeah and and, and whereas brighter summer day is very much going like look at when the system rejects someone and there's no more support the only way out is down yeah you know and and it is very much that in that first moment, that first scene of him being put into night school, you're like, oh, his his fate is sealed. What is that fate? You'll never know. <laughs> he joins a cool gang, hands out with people with fun nicknames, and they yeah. all just get along forever. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. Oh, also in town, uh, uh, ne- next to the school, there's a film studio. Right, yes. Uh, where they've just finished making a film. There, There is this, oh, like, to... A thing I said during this film is that you could take almost any clip of it and say this is the iconic moment from Brighter mm. Summer Day. Um, because I feel like you would show me any bit of this and I'd be like, yeah, of course, of course that bit. Uh, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, as, as the film went on, we were trying to like figure out if like various scenes could still be like the iconic scene. Yeah. There's a bit where, where, uh, there's a bit where, where the main character is taking his shoes off. <laughs> And we're both going like, no, this car. I mean, like, he took his shoes off real good. And we're like, yeah, no, yeah. This, is, this is also incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, who are about uh, the, the film studio anybody is about to start to make a historical film yeah. um, uh, about the area. And they're, they're trying to cast Ming in it. In short, it's a four hour long film. I, I just explained to you about a half an hour worth of events. Yeah. And so you get this real uh, uh, and like the big battle for them, as you see in and out is like, oh we're just trying to make this representation of our culture. And then the money person comes in who is uh, a, an incredible woman in a dapper suit yeah. being like yeah but how are you going to make the money for me if, you're gonna, if, if it's going to be like this and and that brings to the fact that Taiwanese culture in this film is always being invaded mm. uh, by other things uh, and subsumed, right? I'm oh, sorry. Y- yes. Yeah. No, t- t- totally agree. <laughs> Your time to have a thought now. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the main way we see that is with the influence of American culture. At school, all, all the kids play baseball, all of them play basketball, all, all the, the music they listen to is like is uh, uh, is like American like rock and roll type records. Uh, well, and the, the, the like, Japanese architecture and... Mm. 
that there is <laughs> a woman there's like a bunch of older kids and all of them dress like greasers yeah like people got like this slick back hair and leather jackets and, and it, like, like one like forelock coming down um and, and in a way that's never like it's a it's, a, it's an entertaining film mm. it's an amusing film there are good jokes in it like any good film yeah um uh but it, that's it's it's like it's never weird or no. or funny. It is, yeah. The greases. I, it just seems so ridiculous to me to put greases in a film. You know, yeah. that isn't obviously grease yeah. or the sequel to Grease. Oh no, I was trying to think of another grease pun. The Grease financial melt. The Greek financial <laughs> meltdown. Sure, that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, Grease Two. The Greek financial meltdown. <laughs> Greece 2, Greece in it. Greece 2 exists. Yeah, I know. Oh. <laughs> I hope it's called. It's not called Greece in it. No. Um, I think it's, isn't it just called Greece 2? It's just called Greece 2, but it should be called Greased Up. <laughs> or just Greasy. You know, yeah, it should be called All Greased Up with No Place to Go. <laughs> <laughs> that is another good title for this film. <laughs> um, and so we. Uh, uh, and throughout the film, um, there's this real sense of class. As well, there, yeah. are, there, are, there are um, even within like the night school kids. There, there, there's the richer kid who has access to uh, a sword, which is one of the many weapons introduced in this film. Where you're like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> and all of these Chekhov's guns for like the first like hour and a half. There are no weapons in the film, <laughs> and and then there are exponentially more weapons introduced. We uh, 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 there. <laughs> It's just, what is the, sh- before the reveal of the sword, what is the scene? Uh, ever scene where, um, where a bunch of the, two, the 217 gang yeah. can come, come into the school and start using people's uh, gang names at the school. Yeah. Um, the, 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 they, they take the, the main character outside, believing that he is someone else. Uh, yeah. but they think that he's a guy called Tiger. Yeah, uh, who who owes the money? So they, they they take him outside, and it seems like they're going to beat him up. And so uh, all the kids in the class start like breaking up wooden chairs on the ground so they can make like <laughs> yeah. clubs and stuff. I mean, um, oh, they, they're going to come outside and try and like attack um, this gang of like much older kids yeah. with like wooden stakes and clubs. And uh, but in, in the meantime, one of, one of the other kids who like knows the other gang has gone over and sorted it all out. And uh, the, the two on seven gang has walked off, and then all, all the kids come running out of the classroom with their wooden with their wooden bats, and and he like uh, he he takes he takes the bat off the off the kid called Cat, yeah. and just says, what, 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 "What's this? What, what, what are you going to do with this?" And then it it cuts to it cuts to him at his house, he's pulling out a katana, <laughs> and it's like obviously it, like you, you you can't describe how good a cut is. Yeah, like it, it's it's impossible to describe good editing, but it is uh, it's. A, Astounding how good this cut is. That, well, one of the funniest <laughs> cuts I've ever seen in my life. Uh, uh, the the only point I would correct you on is that it's not a katana. Katanas have straight blades. Uh, it's a it's a curved samurai sword. I cannot remember what the proper name for it is. Is called. Okay. Um, and it, it's another it's another intrusion. Uh, of an exterior yeah. culture into them. Speaking of exteriors, yeah. there's a thing you mentioned while watching the film that I hadn't noticed at that point. There, there are essentially no establishing shots in the film. No. Every scene inside a building starts off inside the building. And you never have that sort of like standard film language of here's like five seconds of this yeah. building so you know where the people are. But like... Even even though you never get that, you never see like okay, here's how this building relates to this building. It's still like incredibly easy and and clear about like where things are in relation to each other. Well, and it is like so much of what lets Ed Yang <laughs> get away uh, with his 
what in any other filmmaker's hands would be gratuitous length, you know? <laughs> yeah. Marty Scorsese had to work for a hundred years before he could make a four-hour film. Yeah. Now how we've described a brighter summer day makes it sound like it's an action-packed thrillerama yeah. uh, f- full, full, full of weapons and gangs. <laughs> which it is. Yeah. But if, if I were to describe this film to someone very short, very, I, uh, very quickly, I would say that it is about uh, how easy it is to fall in and out of love when you're young. Okay. Um, uh, and that I think uh, the relationship between our two leads, uh, which is this kind of, you know, they're, ve- they're like 13, 14. Yeah, my main character is about 14 years old. Yeah. And that sense of like there clearly being a connection between them, mm. but it, it it being broken and distorted and playing along to the idea of affection um, uh, and how you kind of perform dating yeah. when, when, when in like early high school like these guys are and i i haven't seen that i i can't think of another film that captures that that specific thing right that well i'm not saying no one has done high school relationships well (laughs) because there's a lot of films that have done that very well but it is Mm -hmm. that very early formative thing that is so intense and so huge within you but when you look back on it with rich pick you're just like oh we would we just held hands for a day. <laughs> and it is interesting how, like, and, but none of these things are separate in, in the way that, like, Yee Yee separates things and, and kind of analyzes them individually. Right, yes. This, it's a, this big weave of ideas all leading to kind of one inevitable point in a way. Mm. And, and it is, again, with a, at the fear of giving the game away. And it, yeah, it is interesting how singular. It can be, and about how if you removed any thread from it, you would miss them, right? Yes. Yeah. I feel like there was absolutely stuff that I did miss in this film. Like, if, if, occasionally I'm going to look away to take a note, or am I yep. like, I'm, I'm gonna, like, uh, go on letterbox for a second. <laughs> yeah. I've been part of the America, like, okay, there's a different scene now, and I've missed some of these characters. Yeah. But, I, like, I think, but yeah, like, it, because it's a four hour film, even if you miss, like, maybe, like, a couple whole scenes, yeah. you're still not going to miss, like, like you, you can still get like the feel and the, the trajectory of the whole film. Well, uh, I said to you while we were watching it that it feels in some ways like a Powell Powell in Pressburger yeah. film. My favorite solitary director who directs on his own, yeah. Powell in Pressburger, um, and that it's all about the N stands for nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> nope, <laughs> it stands for. Powell in nope, no one else here. What are you looking for? Pressburger because his ancestors pressed burgers because it, while yeah while there are shocking moments of violence in this film yes um well yeah for for, for, for like the whole like like first like half of the movie I- any time there is something something like violent. It it, it it is always sort of gapped over. The yeah. film, film has a lot of build up to to the moment, and then it's more about the effect of the moment. And then at about halfway through, there, there it, it decides to stop gapping over the violence, and yeah. it is distressing. That said, we talk about violent films here a lot. It yeah. will continue in a moment. Um, but this film is like it's violent. There are moments of shocking violence in it, but it's like it, it's not it's not gory. No. It's not Edward Gorey, the yeah. artist. Um, like uh, th- 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 this movie does more with like suggestion than pretty much any other movie I can think of when it comes to depicting violence. Yeah, in a way that is there. Are, 
multiple moments uh, of of how Edward Yang, especially in this film, builds. There are so many reported incidents mm. in this film where someone is just like, "Oh, I just got off the phone." Uh, turns out, John is an alien. <laughs> and normally, in any other film, you'd be like, "Why am I not seeing this fucking alien?" <laughs> um, in this, you're like, "Oh no, that's the only way I could learn about this." <laughs> I couldn't, and, and its ability to contain so much and imply so much more. I, I, um, when I, uh, uh, I tweeted about that I was going to see this film, yeah. and film critic, lawyer, uh, and novelist Brennan Gananalingham, Gananalingham, I, I, I apologize if you're listening, Bran, replied that it's one of the best films ever, and it may, and so throughout, I was, um, Bran has just released a book called Sprigs which is uh, uh, an incredibly harrowing tale of sexual violence uh, and, and the repercussions of that in rape culture. It's, it's very good if if you're all right with that. Um, and it, it treats them with weight. But what that book feels like is that there is this complete world that you are just looking through a window into for chosen moments. Yeah. And that's what Brighter Summer Day is like as well. Like, it feels like... We could get a time, not we couldn't get a time machine, but it could be like, there's always a sense, you know, where people are coming to and everyone yep. is on their own arc. Um, there's a lot of stuff about uh, his father, about the lead guy, the lead mm. kid's father. We should also talk about how, like, we talked about Edward Yang getting great performances out of the two kids in Yee Yee, yeah. uh, which he absolutely did. And, and in then, this, then this film is filled with great child performances. And it, I just, this film, the way every shot is so chosen and designed mm. um, is the kind of thing you see in films where you're like, oh, this is great, but it came at the expense of working with the actors. But the performances are like when you see films and you're like, oh, the director spent all this time with the actors, and it's fine that it's shot like this because it's get to the actors. Yeah. And that he's doing both mm. with kids, one of whom we found afterwards is post-dubbed throughout, is, I can't comprehend how that happens, yeah. you know? No, making a movie, already difficult. Yeah. Making making a good movie, even harder. <laughs> yeah. Making a movie with children, even, like... Right? Like, and making this film is always... <laughs> turn this film 10 degrees... And it's Bugsy Malone, which is not a bad thing. But if this film with its intent right, was yeah. Bugsy Malone, you'd be like, oh, Eddie, sorry. Oh, no. Um, Although it would kind of it would kind of make some scenes a bit lighter if people were just throwing pies at each other. Maybe. Yeah, you you just you have to see it. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and it feels like... Uh, look, if you're someone I know personally, uh, I'll, I'll lend you my Blu-ray of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, following my trend, now that I've seen it, I'll, I'm going to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and just add it to my growing Edward Yang collection, uh, which is, uh, at this point, just yee-yee. But I know what you're thinking. And, like, you enjoy this podcast because we're two charming guys, and you like films a bit, but you're like, okay, a four-hour-long Taiwanese <laughs> film about kids. Okay, guys, call it. Like, I need you to understand that if you give this film your attention, that that it deserves and will fucking pay, yep. it is just 
absolutely worth your time. Like, it, 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 I'm just really trying to convince you. Yeah, like, I, I you know, as, as I've already said, I, I watch a lot of long movies. Yeah. But this is, I think, the only, like, four-hour long movie I can remember seeing where, like, um, as soon as I finished it, I was like, I should watch that again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it is a film that is, like, it is not boring for a second. It is totally emotionally engaging. It is a completely singular work by an incredible filmmaker. And there's... There, there's, there's no excuse not to see it. I, I'm sure there is. Like, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep trying to be like, that a human. And like, obviously, a filmmaking is about collaboration. Yeah. And, and, and as much as we can pray, like, the cast are all doing, everyone on this film is doing a great job. Yep. The, the set decorator is doing a great job. <laughs> I knew. I was like, which one of us will say? Yeah. Edward Yang is also credited as set decorator, which is cool. Uh, I wanted to check who, who was the cinematographer for this film. And and yeah, just while you're looking yeah. that up. And it, it is that thing of like, yeah, Edward Yang, there's a clear sense of point of view uh, and voice, which is a collaborative thing. But since it, it seems so shared, uh, with Yee Yee, it is easy to prescribe to him, but I don't. I do not want to. Everyone whose name on this should be a national Taiwanese hero. There are two credited cinematographers on this. the The first one is called Chang Hui Kang. The second one is called Long Yu Zhang. And this is the only movie they shot. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the cinematographers. This is the only movie they shot. The, the other one, they did four other things. Like I. Okay. I, I I don't understand. Like unless unless something terrible happened to both of these people. I mean, like they both died in the same car the, crash. Let, let there is, let's be clear. Making a film like this, that's like saying, "Can Taiwan be Taiwan?" In any scale, especially as as China's government grew, is a dangerous proposition. Also, I'd like to give uh, I'd like to give a shout uh, the editor of this film, who's called Chen Po Wen, uh, who also edited Yi Yi, and uh, looks at, like pretty much all of uh, all of Edward Young's other films. Who did a fantastic job? Yeah, the th- uh, I said to you <laughs> during the film, I want to, I want to see an exhaustive and boring forty-minute-long YouTube video explaining why this film looks good because it definitely does. Yeah, but it's not there. It is. It is never flashy in that way, and it it, it is often very deliberately plain, um, and, and feels like it's working with natural light. Yeah, but. Each shot. Uh, I, I think I, I think I might have said this on on our episode yeah. about Yee Yee. I've said it multiple times on the podcast. I, I I'm a big fan of like 1950s like uh, Technicolor cinematography. Yeah, uh, this film and Yee Yee are two of the films I've seen. But like they look nothing like that. No, but, but, but it's, it's very rare that I see a film that I feel like looks as beautiful as that so, as like that sort of wow. film. Yeah, but like so much like less like uh, stylized and 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 like fake than than that sort of yeah. shooting often looks. Yeah, it's genuine. Genuinely baffling. And uh, also, there are just not many good jokes to make about it, because uh, at best, racist, right? <laughs> There's like uh, like two two more notes that I had. One of them was um, my two favorite pieces of dialogue in the film. One, one of them was, was an older man uh, who I believe was called Uncle Fat. And he, he, was, talk- uh, he, <laughs> yep. he was talking to Zhang Jian's dad. And he said, y- you know, kids these days with their dating and their street gangs. <laughs> Um, and the other bit is the long dialogue that is most emblematical of American influence, which is uh, uh, at some point in the film, uh, there, there is a typhoon coming that is going to hit the city. Yeah. And so all, all the houses and shops are boarded up, except for um, one um, one like uh, pool hall, which is owned by the 217 gang. And they, they um, their, their shutter is still open and they're playing pool inside. And someone comes along 
And he says, hey, the typhoon is coming. You should close up your shop. And one of the members of the gang says, you old motherfucker, go home and jerk off. (laughs) Which is like, is there anything more American than telling someone who is trying to help you during a natural disaster to go home and jerk off? Yeah. Oh, and it's also a film about, like, capitalism and class. Man, it's just about... It's about all the things you want a film to be about. Uh, I don't know. I I don't see any strippers or vampires. (laughs) I want films about strippers, but about strippers. Do you know what I mean? Sure, you you want the movie Hustlers. I'm not sure if I want the movie Hustlers. Uh, I mean, like, let's... let's, Hustlers is fine. Okay. Jennifer Lopez is... She's fine. Oh, no, I think Jennifer Lopez does a lot of good work in that film because I think the script is bizarre (laughs) and... It is. Look, I, I, I think there's a scene where she's wearing a giant fur coat, and I think, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, that, that's, a, that's a great fur coat. So that's a brighter summer day. So I'll just, as you can hear from that jangling sound effect, <laughs> um, just getting opening up the, the old cave. Okay, now we'll just go down these echoing steps. Just going down. Here. Okay, now. Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're. At... Now we're in the Shite and Sound Cave. My name's Yutha Shite. My, my, my name's Finn Sound Nicholas. <laughs> Who we declare we're the film done Shite or Sound. A brighter summer day. Brackets 1991. Edward Yang. Shite or Sound. Uh, th- this one's real good. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say Sound on this. I, I stand by the new level I invented that's called Euphonia. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think that's a perfectly acceptable rating. Okay, cool. We're, we're, now, we're now out, out of we're out of the cave. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to lock it uh, behind me. So, oh no, while we were down in the cave, the, <laughs> a regular recording studio was filled with vampires. <laughs> oh, oh no! no. <laughs> um, Selma Hayek, you, I appreciate your work. <laughs> Funny okay. and 30 Rock. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> The movie From Dust Till Dawn. Okay. So is it a movie? Okay, so is it the most expensive self insert fan fiction (laughs) semi porn ever made? I mean it uh, I think it can be both. No, (laughs) I think one of those is a film and one of those is not a film. In the way do you remember (laughs) do you remember last week about the snowman where I was like, no one should see this? Yeah. I kind of in some ways so uh, it's a film written by uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So it it, it it well it's written by Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. No. Yeah. What? That's not what the opening credits said. Uh. R- oh no! Sorry, it was it was uh, Tarantino and Adam Kurtzman. It was, it was edited yeah. by Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. K- okay. uh, K- and Kurtzman is a makeup effects guy who just came up with the idea. Okay. Uh, and, and and Tarantino bought it off him. So, oh, it, he also directed a movie called uh, Rage. Ah. Which uh, uh, the, the tagline is a mega dose of pure terror. Called Rage was in 2007, and his first one was in 1995, and it's called The Demolitionist. Oh. Starring Nicole Eggert and Bruce Abbott. Of course, uh, look, two films you don't need to say a moment more yeah. about. Okay, yeah, so uh, uh, written by Quentin Tarantino and uh, Robert Kurtzman, uh, d- directed and produced by Robert Rodriguez, and uh, uh, starring everyone's favorite comedy duo of um, uh, of George Clooney and uh, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, I 
I knew that Quentin, my idea, the picture I'd built in my head of this film was that it was a whole gang and that Clunes was the leader right. and Tarantino was just in the gang. I was not prepared for the fact that it, it's it's Clooney and Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're two. They're the Gecko brothers. They are Seth and Richard uh, Gecko. I was about to say Greco. <laughs> so I made a Richard Greco joke earlier. <laughs> a joke worth repeating, I guess, for all the Greco heads out there. Yeah. And they have just done a big old rob. Yeah. George Clooney is a professional thief. Uh, it was probably a pretty big stretch for him. He's, ne- he's never played that sort of character uh, ever again in his career. Well, he's always been a stealer of hearts. So. I was, fuck you, I was going to say that. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> no, 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 not, not worth it now. Um, yeah, so he, he is a professional thief uh, uh, who has just been broken out of jail by, by his brother. Uh, who is a bit, bit, bit of a loose cannon. Yeah, he's and Quentin Tarantino yeah. as himself. Yeah. Okay, so uh, j- just before we get too far into the movie, uh, should we rank uh, Quentin Tarantino's acting performances? Yeah, okay. Okay, so like his... his uh, now, I've not seen Destiny Tunes on the radio. Have you seen... De- I've not seen okay, Destiny so that, that, that's out. His, his big, like, his his like first, like, a major, like, leading role in a film, uh, we don't know. Yeah. Um, assume it's bad. But, yeah, um, I mean, based on the yeah. rest of this okay. list we're about to so, rank. Um, so, there's, so, like, <laughs> ma- major, like, acting performances of Tarantino's yeah. career. We've got uh, we've got uh, R- Richard Gecko in From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. We've got uh, Jimmy in uh, in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. We've got uh, Mr... Australian. <laughs> oh, I think it's Mr... Blue in in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, M- Mr. Australian in Django. Yeah. Um, the, uh, he, he's probably he's probably in like four rooms, right? I think it is a tie for both first and last because there is um, a sense like this character is a real loose oh, okay. cannon. So, um, uh, oh, he he's also apparently got. A part in uh, a part in Inglorious Bastards, which I don't remember. Yeah. And okay, he seems like he's in all of his movies that he's directed. I, yeah. I remember none of those performances apart from Pulp Fiction and and Django. He he, he was in Little Nicky, the oh, Adam yeah. Sandler movie. He was in uh, <laughs> he was in the George Romero film Diary of the Dead. Uh, oh, yeah, I have seen that. Okay. Uh, he uh, he was in he was in the Spike Lee film Girl Six, which is a Spike Lee film I've never heard of. Wow, I mean there are a lot of those. Yeah, that guy is prolific. Uh, he, How excited are you for American Utopia? Oh yeah, I not look, the American adaptation of the TV show Utopia, no, which looks bad. But for but for Spike Lee's filmed version of 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 David Byrne's American Utopia stage show, yeah, which like. like Two, two of my favorite things are uh, D- David f- filmed David Byrne concerts yeah. and uh, Spike Lee. Yeah, and I recently I cannot remember the name of this play. Um, I, I saw a play uh, that was very good. Right. Uh, uh, I highly recommend it. I'll insert the name of it here. And Spike Lee has also got a fit. I can. I'll just fucking look it up like a normal smart person would do. Yeah, it's called Passover. It's a play. It's on Amazon. Prime. Okay. Uh, it's Spike Lee's filmed version, and I've not. That is the closest I've seen where where I've witnessed both an iteration of the live event. I saw a different production, um, and, and the filmed version in some way captures the magic of it. Okay. Um, it's good. It's very political, um, as I presume you'd guess, because um, it's old uh, Spike Lee. Yeah. 
Oh, okay, I'm just looking through more of Quentin Tarantino's acting filmography. Oh my god. Uh, he, he was also in a Takashi Miike film. I mean, yeah, all right. Yeah. He, he was in Takashi Miike's film uh, 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 from 2007 called Tsukiyaki Western Django, where he played the character of Ringo. I uh, I think I've seen that film. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so he, uh, uh, George Clooney uh, is cool as a cucumber. Uh, yeah, no, he, he's he's doing... Like, he, he's doing the George Clooney thing. Yeah, he's being such a fucking movie star, yeah. which is immediately so unflattering to Quentin Tarantino. Uh, a writer and director I have so much time for. Yeah. Oh, a I, talented I, man. We, 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 didn't, we didn't finish, like, fully ordering uh, all, oh, all the right, yeah, performances. Yeah. So, like... Uh, like obviously, uh, like uh, Australia man's got to be the bottom, right? That's, no, I, I would that's, say it's the top. That's uh, Drek. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, no, it is. I mean, why? Like, is it, that... it, yeah. It, it, as much as his character of Jimmy in Pulp Fiction is just an excuse for him to say the N word a lot. Yeah. Uh, that's his best performance. Because like he, because uh, yeah. like all all he has to do in that movie is be incredibly irritating, <laughs> and Quentin Tarantino is incredible at being very irritating. Oh man, is he? Yeah. Um, and it is like not to not to go too big picture too early, as if that. <laughs> why why apologize for what I routinely do? Um, but it, like the thing that struck me so much watching this film, which is. Uh, the first half is about two absolute monsters uh, who've got, you know, they're two hitmen, essentially. They're, they're the two wisecracking hitmen that was yeah, all yeah. of popular culture for about a decade yeah. um, because people saw Reservoir Dogs and were like, yeah, that's cool. I like those guys. Yeah, no, if, if, if there's a man with, wearing a black suit with a skinny tie, yeah. uh, he's uh, the single coolest person who's ever lived. And, uh, and, and if, it, if he kills people, even better. And, 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 and if, if he kills women specifically, even better. And That's what people loved him in the 90s. And this, but for, this is four years after that. It's two years after Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And so it's kind of almost at the peak of that craze where it's like this film, it, above all else, is like the zeitgeist of cool yeah and what the zeitgeist of cool is is uh these two craven sociopathic murderers where like a comedy beat is like oh i left you alone with the hostage you why did I, why did you rape and then murder okay, her I, I don't think that's a comedy beat in the way that scene is edited where like george Clooney opens the room and he sees the the yeah. dead person and it's just like like you just have a shot of his face with like flashes of like yeah. blood and stuff. The, I think that that is supposed to be a horrifying scene, and I disagree that it's played for comedy. I think maybe Quentin Tarantino is just so bad that his <laughs> performance feels like it's supposed to be a comedy performance yeah, in that I moment. Just... But I, I think like like definitely like Clo- Clooney is not playing that for comedy. Clooney is playing that for the genuine emotion of oh yeah yeah yeah. And, but and I, it is it is directed and edited like uh, this is a fucked up thing that happened. Yeah, I, it, it, like the thing I'm criticizing is again is Tarantino's acting in that yeah. moment. And yeah. I think I think it's overall not not to open the door to the cave I mean, too I, I soon. Mean, like, for, for the whole thing, T- Tarantino is playing it like he's Steve Buscemi and Conair. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, like literally, like possibly two years before Conair. I think maybe Conair was like the next year. Oh, ninety-seven, same year. Yeah, oh, it's a oh. Simon. West joined yeah, it is. director of my third favorite Tomb Raider film. <laughs> Tomb Raider? Lara Croft colon Tomb Raider. Yeah. Oh god, he, he also directed Stolen. Oh, Stolen. Stolen. <laughs> and Expendables 2. What a what 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 a, what a career. 
Expendables 2, the superior Expendables movie. I'll learn that eventually, <laughs> I guess. But it is that I wish this film, like, the, the halfway point where suddenly it's fucking vampires and everywhere, like, the broad strokes of this film, like, it's the two criminals on a run, having kind of slightly wacky, cool 90s hip adventures and then suddenly the second half is just them just killing vampires yeah. just like wall-to-wall vampire killing um and like the the moment like the reveal at the halfway point is that like someone's hand is bleeding and Selma Hayek cannot control herself so morphs into a snake woman it's like <laughs> oh shit that's so good but all of the detail like the fact that it is like that the way you establish one of the characters is dangerous by by having them com- just commit a horrific sequence of crimes yes. is just like and, and and then go on to be uh, a malevolent threat of sexual violence against a young woman yeah. is it, just I'm just like there's just so many there's so many ways you could make this film with a while and it could still be sleazy and horny and fucking violent yeah and but it wouldn't be gross yeah yeah um and like, i don't think uh, it's a changing tastes thing there like there 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 is a character of asian descent in this film who is referred to by almost every unacceptable <laughs> racial term which like that was ro- like and it's cuz they're cool hit men but it's yeah. like no you just don't just don't like like in similar in similar like reservoir dogs like all, yeah. all, all of the characters are like are, are like like uh yeah are all like violent white dudes who like communicate with each other through like homophobia and racial slurs and in, in reservoir dogs that movie really feels like like it is it is about a certain type of man who cannot communicate anyway except through violence and blood and like blood and like m- making other people feel lesser. Well, and, and, and then like then you then you have like the next few movies that Tarantino like writes yeah. and it, like it, everything that like that makes Reservoir Dogs feel like a commentary feels like oh no he just got lucky that time. Yeah, absolutely, and like that's. But there are still, like, the first scene is you get Sheriff Earl McGraw, um, turns up, uh, played by Michael Parks, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who, who, who plays the, the same character in, uh, who plays the same character in Kill Bill, uh, Planet Terror, Death Proof. So, yeah. Uh, he, he plays, what well, he plays, um... Uh, the the like great grandfather of that character in, <laughs> yeah. in Django Unchained. Um, uh, 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 so he comes in. Uh, this is his his debut in the universe yeah. in in the Tarantino verse. Um, well, and and also Rodriguez verse because he's in Planet Terror. Yeah. Um, and and the geckos are, I believe, supposed to be, um, are supposed to be three siblings. Um, the third of whom is Michael Madsen in Reservoir Dogs. No, no. Um, M- Michael Madsen in Reservoir Dogs is the brother of of, uh, uh, of John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. That's what I. Yeah. Th- yeah. Sorry. Um. Oh no! It's that Dusk Till Dawn is a film in that universe, like Reservoir okay. Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Yeah. There's an explanation, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it do- it doesn't fucking matter. Of like all, all the like film universe continuities, yeah. the one that matters the least is the one that like. Quentin Tarantino retrofitted onto onto his own movies. Look, 
absolutely wrong. It's definitely the continuity in the Fast and Furious films. <laughs> okay. And that's why it's so delightful <laughs> that they work so hard to maintain <laughs> right. it. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we were like, okay, so we, we did the third movie, uh, and now there's going to be four more movies that are uh, bef- before this one. Like, this is, this is, a, this is a spoiler for the, for the, the recent trailer for Fast <laughs> Nine, which is, of course, as we know, the tenth Fast and Furious <laughs> film, um, uh, uh, which reveals that Han is still alive and he's back. Okay, so has he died twice now? No, no. Okay. He, oh, oh. No, no. He, he. Right. No. He, we've he, he, seen his death twice uh, in two timelines. Oh, right, right. So he he died. He dies at the end of Tokyo Drift, and, and then, then there's four more movies, and like he's back in some of them. Then you see Jason the, Statham kill him at the end of one of them. At the end of six, right? Yes. Is the reveal that it was Jason yeah, Statham yeah. back back in three, and that's when the timelines connect back. Right. Up. Yes, yes. Also explains Vin Diesel's cameo in Tokyo Drift, <laughs> and, and it just you know, means, it's, it's good that that got explained. Well, no, that like yeah, that's yeah, precisely, yeah. and like yeah. see. That cameo is the second most exciting thing in that trailer, apart from the fact that, yep, we are going to see a car bungee jump. <laughs> and you've only got to wait more, like three more years to see them go to space. <laughs> oh, which that... I think they've confirmed now they're doing in the next one. I'm so horny for those films. But it's like the fact that definitely when Han returns, do you know what Han's surname is? Uh, Zimmer? No. Soul, like the city, right. hyphen O-H. His name is Han Solo. <laughs> um, and he's also a character from one of Justin Lin's other films. Right. Does, uh, oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, but they are definitely... So, um, who, 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 plays, who plays Han? I've forgotten his name. He's in Bullet to the Head, though. He is Sun Kang. Yeah. yeah. Um, who is... Yeah, I, I just can't remember if he... If, if, if Han was by Sun Kang or by Rain. Yeah, no, Rain is uh, from Speed. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Sun Kang is a fucking magnetic screen presence. <laughs> uh, and I'm genuine, like, Sun Kang should be in the Scott Adkins school of, like, there are three or four straight to Blu-ray films a year where he is, like, in this one, he's on a motorcycle. Yeah. There's the kind of slightly comedy one where he's killing people with a milk float, you know? <laughs> There's one that's in set entirely inside a murderous bouncy castle. <laughs> I, like, I want to see those films. But, yeah. like, knowing that he's returning, I'm like, the thing I am most excited for in that film is... is how they justify is it. How, and they will do it. In all, yeah. And it's like... Oh, it's going to be so, I'm so, and like, let's be clear, that series of films is on a downward trend, um, but I'm going to wallow in it while it's down there. Right, like, yeah. eight is markedly, like after, like one, two, three or whatever, four, five, six and seven are this clear, like getting better and better and better. Right, okay, it's like the, 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 those are ones I have essentially no experience of. Like I've, oh, seen, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen one a couple of times. I've seen most of two. I've seen the yep. first half of three. I mean, I've seen the part of whichever one where they're in, like, uh, Rio de Janeiro or whatever, they're dragging a, a bank vault through the streets. That's five, yeah. yeah. And then I've seen nothing until uh, Hobbs and Shaw, yeah. mm. which yeah. uh, is a, a garbage movie for bad people. And, yeah. I, yeah, why put Kevin Hart in the film? Um, yeah. Because him and the fucking Rock are best friends, probably. That, after making Central Intelligence together. Oh, uh, yeah. Kevin Hart is one of those people where I look at his success and go, like, people must... he To some people, he must be a Clooney. Yeah. And I absolutely buy that. But I just am not tuned into whatever he does. So nope. it is just like, what is this tiny irritant doing? <laughs> oh, he's just yelling. 
great. Can't wait to see more Kevin Harting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, you you just mentioned Clooney again. Like like. Like what, what? What do you think of Clooney overall in this movie? I think like Clooney. Uh, we were talking uh, before the film started about how good at just being a movie star yeah. George Clooney is. Yeah, like I, um, I've watched a bunch of Clooney this year. I rewatched uh, Ocean's Eleven for, for for like probably for like the fifth time, and that that movie is just a constant fucking delight. I, I, I watched Solaris, which I think he's really good in. Uh, yeah, I watched some other ones. I can't can't remember. But like like Clooney is Clooney's a fucking Clooney's a fucking pro. He is like he is like so good at just at at being like charming. All the time, and like it would be a—I <laughs> can't believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say—but <laughs> it would be a lost to cinema if George Clooney had never played a Tarantino wisecracking criminal. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, uh, in that I feel like it's kind of the er uh, performance of that role, and like people have done interesting detail within it elsewhere, mm. and and other people, uh, you know, also wrote the films, and so think that just saying the dialogue is enough. Um, Tarantino, I, I, like, I have so much time for some of his writing, and yeah. so much time for some of his directing. He is just, like, and I, this is, like, a, a choice I made in my life, as I, because I wanted to be an actor, mm. uh, and then I realized that I care about everything else more. Right, yeah. Um, and, and and that being a good actor, as much as it is easy to be like, you're just it's attractive people pulling faces. No, it's a full time body of work, if mm. you know what I mean. And so, I, I just, I it's with all of that in mind that I am saying that the biggest problem with this Quentin Tarantino film is that Quentin Tarantino is in it, yeah. you know? Um, it, no, the be- mm. this is a problematic film. Y- yes. Uh, a- in an actual way where I mean problematic neg- negatively and not just as a neutral descriptor as that term was intended to be. <laughs> it starts off like they've done a bunch of crimes, they're on the run, and they're, they're, they're holding up in a motel uh, with their hostage, uh, who at, at a certain point uh, after Clooney after Clooney leaves the room, Tarantino's character, uh, he, I don't even want to say the words. Okay. Jesus, uh, yeah, you, you, oh, okay, yeah. This part has already been said, so I don't need to say it again. They kidnap uh, Harvey Keitel, uh, his daughter Juliet Lewis, and his son, because uh, uh, they are driving a big RV. And uh, they're going to use uh, them as hostages to get into Mexico, uh, where where they um, they're, they're going to the 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 mythical like criminal hideaway town El Rey. Yeah, and uh, and so when when we when we meet these uh, these colorful characters, uh, Harvey Keitel is uh, uh, he is a widower. Yeah, uh, and he is also a former priest. Uh, uh, I guess after his wife died, he he lost his faith in God. Yeah. Uh, and now uh, he just sort of like um, he just sort of like grumbles a lot, but he, he's trying to he's trying to have a nice vacation with his with his kids, but also yeah. they, they they don't seem super into it. Yeah, they're driving around in an RV, and soon it's going to be a real runaway, runaway vacation. vacation. <laughs> um, uh, okay, uh, what what if Barry Sonnenfeld played Quentin Tarantino's character? No. <laughs> no. Sonnenfeld do direct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> We've already had this conversation. Yeah, I, I know, but there's, there's another person whose name is very similar to Baron's Barry Sonnenfeld who makes sort of similar movies and I think also started off as a cinematographer that I just, uh, can't... Jan de Bont? No. <laughs> it's, it's the person with a similar... Ema- Emmanuel Lebowski? No. no okay. What's the... Who wrote Transference? 
Who made Transference? Oh, uh, you're talking about Transcendence. Transcendence, yeah. Wally Fister. Oh, yeah, Wally Fister. Yeah. Transcendence, a movie that Mark Kermode loves. Oh, not love. He, he, he's a, he's a, Mark Kermode's a big defender of Transcendence. I love and respect that man. Yeah. Uh, he's done a lot of great work. He's done a lot of great work, up to, but not <laughs> including, the extended chapters in his books where he attempts comedy re- retellings of experiences at multiplex cinemas right. as, as like, oh, these people don't care about film, but what he sounds like is this raging boomer <laughs> going around like, oh, hi, I'd like to see Citizen Kane. And they're like, well, we've only got Saw 5, Saw's popping off. And he's like, well, the screw Green is too bright. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but genuinely, uh, uh, Mark Kermode uh, made me believe in film criticism again. Uh, I, 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 uh, sorry, just thinking about it now, I've realized you know how there are like, there are people where you're like, you've got such an idealized picture of them in yes, your mind yeah. that if you met them, you would absolutely fall apart. Yeah. If I was in the same room as Mark Kermode. <laughs> I would just feel this incredible tension. Yeah, last year I was in the same room as James Acaster, and <laughs> I, I was standing. I was standing near him, yeah. and I, I, I was so glad. That Name redacted. Was there being a drunk idiot to him? Yeah. So Name redacted. I, so, New Zealand's favourite James Acaster impersonator. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was so glad. That Name redacted. Was there just like, just like, um, just, just like, kind of making a fool of himself yeah. at at James Acaster, <laughs> so I didn't have to like make a fool of myself at James Acaster, which I absolutely would have. Um, uh, a friend, a friend of mine, uh, once took a show to the Edinburgh Festival and uh, sent me the text. Uh, just had a beer with Daniel Kitson, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> that beer would be half. Tears. <laughs> um, oh yeah, you know I I I do not know what I would do if I was in the same room as Daniel Kitson. I, I once saw Russell T Davies uh, in the flesh, and I genuinely froze like a deer. And like there was not, we were we were past, like we yeah. were both walking opposite directions, different parts of a street. And I was just like, I can't believe he's a real person. <laughs> oh no, um, he, he's not just on Doctor Who Confidential. I mean, my first encounter with Russell T. Davies uh, uh, as, as as a being, as opposed yeah. to his his work, was uh, that in the published version of the scripts of his seminal um, uh, uh, television series Queer as Folk, yeah. um, which I highly recommend, Charlie Hunnam's best work. All right. uh, uh, I, I've seen uh, I've seen one uh, I've seen about ten seconds of Queer as Folk, and that's from right. an episode of uh, Charlie Brooker's Screen Wipe, mm-hmm. where uh, he he showed a he showed a clip of a dude just getting his dick out and yeah. waving it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, oh yeah. That, I'll, I'll, that, I'll probably watch that one day. That, and that's like three minutes into the first episode. <laughs> right. um, and, and the introduction to that script book is um, a fake interview with him where he's portraying himself as this drunk lovey. Uh, uh, and so I immediately uh, lunged across the street, pulling out the knives I always had with me yeah. and said... P- punching cars out of the way with your giant <laughs> Hellboy fists. And I was just screaming, your hands will be my hands. Oh, I must sign like... my knives. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I keep a collection of Ginzu on me at all times. <laughs> I see <laughs> Russell loved years and years, loved banana, loved cucumber, loved tofu. Please sign my knife. 
Yeah. <laughs> Who would you most want to sign a knife? I mean, from a sign knife. Okay. Um, I, I, I have I have an answer. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Who so, do you most want a signed knife? From? So I I I would like to uh, buy uh, one of the knives uh, from the set of John Wick Three, and I would want uh, Keanu Reeves to uh, sign it for okay. me. Okay. Mine is in, in on so, somewhat similar terms. Mm. It's got two signatures on it. One is Janice Boone, and the other is Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, <laughs> Janice Boone uh, being the food designer okay, for Hannibal. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's an incredible pick. You'll, you'll have noticed from recent episodes, uh, me and Bray are re-watching Hannibal. That's for the uptick of Hannibal content. If you've not seen Hannibal, holy shit. Yeah, I've, I've also been uh, um, so like, re- I've been like re- recommitting to, to actually watching season three recently. Because like, like the two times I've watched through Hannibal, I, I get to the third episode. Of, yep. It's always the third episode of season three, and then I just fall off. But a, a couple of days ago, I restarted. I saw episode four, and most episodes yep. I was like, "Oh, this is picking up again." I, I, I can I can watch this. Like that first half of season three, I think is great and interesting. But you have to like there oh, is a no, sense no, I, when you. I, f- I, I think like v- v- those episodes are good, yeah. but they are so much less propulsive than, than, yeah. than And so like, I I I, I, ju- I just totally stop feeling the like the like need to like consume it. What what is the be- like the best? It is hard to pick a best in Hannibal. Mm. Welcome to um. Uh, oh, what's a Hannibal fan podcast called? Um, uh, a cut above a Hannibal yeah, yeah, yeah. Po- a, a Hannibal fan cast. Uh, this is uh, the of, of the many great decisions. Starting season two with that flash forward fight scene, yes, which yeah. is, which is like which is telling you as an audience, shit's about to happen, but it's going somewhere. Yeah. Season three needs to start with something like that because. As much as I love that first half, that first half only works because you know it's going somewhere right, yeah, that yeah. shit is going to happen. In the way that the first half of Dusk Till Dawn, I think, gets a lot of passes, right? Because you're like, yeah. no, I know. I, I, yeah, like, this is my second time seeing from yeah. Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah. And wow, like, you, watch, you watched it all night. Well, that's great. It's slowed <laughs> down or on repeat? N- not even going to dignify that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, uh, this is my second time seeing seeing the film from dusk till dawn. You watch the film from dusk <laughs> until dawn. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, and not being like seventeen anymore, and also seeing it with another person, <laughs> you're really like, oh yeah, the first half of this movie. Just woof. well, like and, and, I, I, which I, I, is not to say that the first half is entirely without grace. Like the no. opening, the like, opening scene in the liquor store has some fucking sweet. There's a dude who's on fire, firing a gun. Yeah, and I mean, they, like Clooney is great throughout all the film, but like the first half especially. Yeah, like where, where there's like a lot more focus on on him. Yeah, like yeah, he he's he's fantastic, and I mean like. Even like as distasteful as the scene is, where you find out that that, that Quentin Tarantino's character has like has like horribly yeah. murdered a woman. I, I think the 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 the, 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 the way that the scene is edited, where it's just like a single shot on Clooney's yeah. face, and you see like it's just intercut with like images of gore. I think that's that's like really really smart filmmaking by 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 Rodriguez. Oh yeah, and and like. Like and like he, he's he's a fuck, he's a fucking good director. He and like with, uh, the, the parts of this film that he cares about. You're, well, the, the parts of the film isn't just him letting Tarantino do whatever he wants. The parts of the film that feel more like a Robert Rodriguez film are the good part. Almost guarantee that the way they pitched this film uh, to their funders at Miramax, who were two distinguished elder gentlemen uh, of the filmmaking profession, yeah. um, who sadly since uh, have uh, absolutely fucked themselves 
uh, and are burning in a shit hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, would be to like, okay, so like, okay, hey, it's me, Quinn. It's Quinnit. <laughs> I know this is not how my voice sounds, but it's the energy, you know? Yeah, no, okay. you're basically doing Mark Kermode's impression of... Yeah, 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 no, this is the energy, all right? Okay, so imagine, you sit down, it's just another Quinn and Tarantino film. There's these two cool dudes, they get in a fight, and they're like, how are we going to fucking solve this fight? And then they fucking douse a piece of to- a toilet roll in alcohol and use it, and it's fucking dope. But then halfway through, this ain't a Quinn and Tarantino film, that's right, it's a Robert Rodriguez film film where Selma Hayek is a fucking vampire and, and then those two distinguished dead fucking cunt monsters <laughs> were like yes here have 19 million dollars yeah. or however much it costs yeah. uh, and was like oh by the way uh, first half of the film Quentin's just going to put a whole bunch of shit in it <laughs> that is unnecessarily heavy uh, and tonally wrong, and, it, and it, it's going to feel real bleak. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the entire second half is just going to be um, mainly a showcase for Tom Savini's special effects makeup. <laughs> yeah, which is like, which is what you want the film to be. Oh, because like, absolutely. Like I, after everyone turns turns into vampires and things start getting like um, like visually gross rather than like morally gross. <laughs> yeah, um, which is also. Uh, and, uh, can I just uh, mm. before? Yeah. Because yeah. uh, we're going to talk about the good stuff too. Yeah. I d- I just want to emphasize again that what I'm I'm not arguing for this to film to be like. Actually, what this film should be is a, a, about a bunch of thoughtful Mormons <laughs> who have no conflict and then come upon some vampires. You can make th- it is it's about shifting details. Yeah. You can make them sketchy and gross and weird without invict. In uh, needlessly and unceremoniously invoking spectres of sexual yeah, violence, like th- 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 there's like a thing which is like, which is kind of like brought up like once or twice and then never really examined again. Is like, like uh, um, as a Quentin Tarantino's character seems to be like suffering from uh, some some sort of like mental block yep. where he believes where he like has these kind of like episodes where he um where he like hallucinates the 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 women around him are like coming onto him very explicitly yeah and so there's a point where he's like standing next to Juliet Lewis and in like a fantasy sequence she turns around to him and says like hey maybe maybe later could could you like eat my pussy out for me and, and let's be clear Juliet Lewis was was an adult while they were making the film but that character is very specifically framed as a child. And uh, yeah, she, yeah she, she's supposed to be like 18 or 19 years old. Um, I thought she'd still be. And, uh, mm. The specifics of that, but like it is like it's the very specific optics and morals of like the writer of a film <laughs> having like Juliet Lewis in a bikini, yeah. wearing a bikini at that point, turn to like. An, no matter how much you can be like, oh, but he's crazy, and like they get to Mexico, they get they go to they go to a strip club. Um, uh, uh, well, it's not a strip club; it's a bar that is also a strip club. Yeah. Um, uh, and then of course, uh, uh, after we meet the single greatest <laughs> character in all of fiction, <laughs> one of three characters in the film played by Cheech Marin. Yeah. Uh, from the Scorsese film After Hours. Yeah. His 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 major his other major work. Yeah. No, that that that's all I can think yeah. of. Um, yeah. So um uh, so in this one there are three characters played by, played by, by by Cheech Marin. The first one is a border patrol guard. Yeah. Uh, as as the uh, as the uh, RV is, is coming to Mexico, uh, the the second one is uh, okay. Did, does this character feel more like a, a Rodriguez character or a Tarantino character? Um, I, I, he's I, a Rodriguez character yeah, yeah. with Tarantino dialogue. I, I'd say he, he, he's. 
I don't even think about Tarantino dialogue. I think, I think he, here's Tarantino energy. Do you remember the amount of times he says the word pussy? Yeah, no, that, that's... I think that feels like... Uh, uh, he feels like if the character of Buck from Kill Bill what was, in a, was in a Rodriguez movie. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, yeah, so th- this is a character called Chit Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of uh, uh, crazy-ass names in this movie. Like, it, uh, a bit... Um, what is what is Selma Hayek's yeah, character? Yeah, so uh, a bit later on, we are introduced to Selma Hayek's character, uh, who is uh, uh, like a demon vampire stripper, uh, uh, whose name is Santanico Pandemonium. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, that, I, I guarantee you, that was Rodriguez who who came up with that name. Yeah, but that, that, that's uh, not the a bit where name. she puts her foot in Quentin Tarantino's mouth and then mm. pours alcohol down it. I think that was in the script. Something riddled yeah. me that. Sorry. Um, it, it, Hi, it's me. It's the Riddler back on the phone. <laughs> uh, I've got a question for you, Sam. Yeah. Who do you think, in the, in the Quentin Tarantino written film uh, from Dust to Dawn, in the scene where Quentin Tarantino, known uh, foot enthusiast, has a, a Selma Hayek, uh, a not unattractive <laughs> woman, uh, put her foot in his mouth and pour alcohol down it for what seems like forever. Whose idea do you think that was? Yeah. That's my riddle. I I think I think Selma I think Selma improv that. <laughs> I, I think Dale she said, you know what, Quentin? I've I've got an interesting idea of where to take this character. <laughs> It just and like that's obviously the specific moment where you're like, I think it is mo- like <laughs> it is uh, like I don't. The, 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 I think like that moment is where this goes from an, from an exploitation yeah. film to an exploitative film. Well, and it's like people like what they like. Yeah, and, and Tarantino's foot fetish looms so large within like directorial quirks that like reacting to that can feel like you're reacting against foot fetishes, which is a thing that like like I don't care. Yeah, but so it's, I, it's it's fine as long as you're not fucking doing doing weird shit to and, people. And like that bit of the film, the issue is that he wrote it and it's happening to him. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's where you're like, this. If, that's I mean, like, where you're like. No, the rules are being broken here. And that's yeah. when... I like, feel like it, it, even if he just written it and someone else was in that role, it would, it would still be weird. Yeah, yeah. But, and you, you'd I still mean, feel like, very heavily like, oh, this is a Tarantino moment. But like, it would feel so much less... It would feel so much less gross. I just wish I had more ambiguity in my life around whether... Quentin Tarantino yeah. had masturbated while watching his own films. <laughs> like, that is... You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, it is... It, it, <laughs> And it's just a thing I don't want, like, I don't know what parts of Edward Yang films get him up. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, any, I don't think any part of either of his films that I've seen. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, no, like, very absolutely filmmakers, but you can feel, like, very heavily exactly yeah. what turns him on while you're watching his movies. Like, with, with, with Hitchcock, you know exactly what he was into watching his movies. Yeah. With Zack Snyder, you know exactly what turns Zack Snyder on watching his fucking movies. Yeah. Like... With Michael Haneke, you know exactly what <laughs> yep. really gets just him grief. off. Just grief and trauma is what Michael Haneke <laughs> yeah. loves. Um, and watching <laughs> with, with Kenneth Lonergan, it's also grief and trauma. <laughs> with Gus Van Sant, it nothing makes Gus Van Sant's uh, rigid stiffy more tumescent than flatly wasting audiences' time. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Jerry? Uh, no, I, I've seen one uh, Gus Van Sant film that's uh, Elephant. Oh, yeah. Which is good. 
Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Elephant is him doing that well. Yeah. All of his others genuinely feel like, oh, no, I've got to hand the film in tomorrow. <laughs> Just I'll, put, I'll, just probably see, I'll probably see a Paranoid Park at some point because that was recommended on the flop house. So. Yeah, and I don't like it, but I can oh, see why people could. Right, yeah. yeah. While oh, we're on Selma Hayek's yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, dance. We, we, we should bring this up. While we're watching a film, like Selma Hayek plays a stripper who doesn't take her clothes off. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, she's wearing very few clothes. Sure, it's sure. just that the other women in the room are wearing less. Yeah. And, uh, and to be clear... Both fine choices for those <laughs> women. I know. I don't no, like. Yeah, no, sure, absolutely. Like there is a large amount of nudity in this film, and yeah. if those women fully consented to do that under those terms, I'm happy for it. Yeah, I have well, a question. Like, it should be said, like we did find out this this, is a, this was a non-union film. Well, so. and uh, maybe this is what you're about to bring up. But IMDb trivia talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So while we're watching film, it gets to her like dance sequence, and she's supposed to be like the most like incredible, sexy dancer of all yeah. time. She doesn't actually dance in this movie. She 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 does a thing that like people in movies do when they can't dance, but have to dance in a movie, which is they just sort of move slow. Yeah, and I, I was and I, occasionally I, move suddenly to the music. Yeah, I mentioned like this. This feels like exactly like the same as another Robert Rodriguez film, Sin City. Which where, where Jessica Alba is also playing like the like the hottest stripper in the world, like all all the men in this like in the grossest city in the world want to come and see her specifically, and then like her dancing isn't that good. She never takes her clothes off, <laughs> which is like yeah. But like, and what we found out after the film from from trivia <laughs> on IMDb is yeah. that uh, Robert Rodriguez gave both of them the same advice, which was not a choreographer. It was just feel it out. Yeah, that's not what I was going to bring up. I was okay. going to bring up the more morally gray thing, right? Oh, oh, um, oh, that thing, where, yeah. Uh, which is that uh, uh, Sam Hayek begins the dance uh, with a, a snake around her. Yeah, because she's supposed to be like the mistress of evil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and like, it's a pretty standard image, but IMDb is like, Selma Hayek is deathly afraid of snakes. Yeah, Robert just, Rodriguez... Just one, of many, just one of many similarities she has with Indiana Jones. <laughs> Robert Rodriguez conned her into taking the role by saying someone else was going to get it. She then had two months of therapy to get over her fear. And it is like, and considering this is still in the Tarantino half of the film, yeah. it's only at the end of the stance <laughs> that it changes. Like, that is enough... <laughs> I just don't want there to be even faint questions of consent around, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, like uh, it, basically it, pornographic images, like soft, so very softly <laughs> pornographic images. But it's a five-minute sequence where the camera is like, "Some hacks here, guys. Have a have a look." <laughs> and, and, and you can really see Frida Kahlo in her. <laughs> uh, that's that sounds like I'm dissing Frida. A good film, good performance. Um, uh, anyway, but yeah, like uh, I think the, uh, as, as soon as like as soon as you have a director like conning a, a, an actress into appearing like mostly nude in a film, like you've like something's gone horribly wrong. Even if the snake was the bit she disagreed with, yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I um. And then, oh, like, uh, all through this dance and, like, the lead-up to it, we meet several characters around the room. Uh, yeah. Tom Savini is there playing a character named Sex Machine. Why is he called Sex Machine? Well, he's called Sex Machine because he has a sort of, like, leather pouch over his crotch, which he can open at will. And, uh, 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 it, and, it's and his belt buckle. Uh, it's his belt buckle? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Inside his belt buckle <laughs> is a gun uh, that looks like a... It's, it doesn't look like a penis, but it sort of implies... It's, it, 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 it's a gun that... 
like implies a penis and it, like pops out. It's a double, like it's a double barreled s- revolver. Yeah, and that there's but there's one barrel and there's two chamber like two yeah. it doesn't matter look it up it, it's, it's hilarious it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's a crotch gun that looks like a dick and that's what it's called sex machine yeah. um uh there's a guy uh named frost yeah uh, uh, who, who, who is played uh, who's played by an actor called fred williamson who's like a major like uh, uh who's like a major like black exploitation uh, actor in the 70s um uh, he was also in v, v uh he also did a lot of work in italy he was one of the leads in the original film of inglorious bastards which Tarantino then took the name of and made another film. Um, and he's uh, he's introduced how the uh, and he, he was also in at least one movie that uh, I cannot see the name of. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. No, I'm not gonna go. <laughs> that sounds like oh, I really want to joke about this, but I can't. <laughs> I just, anyway, um, but we we are introduced to him in that he's sitting at a table that that a, a woman is dancing on, um, but he's playing cards underneath her legs, yeah. getting very annoyed that she keeps. <laughs> shifting the table and it's like <laughs> there are many non-dance tables around buddy um but then yeah uh quentin tarantino has a bleeding hand because of, because, of, because selma hayek turns into a, a, a snake vampire and she yep. bites his hand the previous film is a memory so it, it, it should be said like so they have to like go and hide out in this bar because that's where the people who are going to take him to El Rey are going to are going to meet them. Yeah. And uh, uh, but uh, but earlier in the film, uh, uh, Tarantino gets shot in the hand, yeah. and so his hand is like bandaged with duct tape the whole movie. Hey. Uh, and uh, uh, w- w- when they when they're coming into the, uh, when they're coming into into this bar, uh, they're, they're, they're greeted by Cheech Marin's character um, of uh, 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 they're greeted by his character of Chet Pussy. And uh, he won't let him into the bar, so to get into the bar, George Clooney breaks one of his fingers yeah. and throws him down a flight of stairs, and Karen Tarantino like, kicks him in the ribs a bunch. And then they go into the bar, uh, where, where they meet uh, Danny Trejo's character, who's called Razor Charlie. Yeah. And um, um, Well, his real name is Machete. He's, it just means, yeah. like, this is like the one Rodriguez film where he's not Machete, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's he's also not Machete in uh, The Desperate, and... Once upon a time, oh, okay, in, in Mexico, right? But he is in Spy Kids, yeah, which is uh, hilarious. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, okay. after Selma Hayek's dance, yeah. Cheech comes back in and uh, he's like, "Hey, those guys, those guys attacked me." And Danny Trejo comes on like, "Oh, get out of my fucking bar!" And then uh, he he stabs Tarantino in the hand with a knife, and uh, and then then there's like a big fight, and Cheech and and Danny Trejo both seemingly get killed, and then Quinn's just standing there with like blood coming out of his hand, and Selma cuts to Selma Hayek specifically, and she's just like, mm, <laughs> <Yeah>. "Yummy!" <laughs> and, and this is let's be clear. The first idea that anything supernatural yeah. is yeah, happening there, in the there, film. There has been zero evidence of vampires before this, and then she does a crazy CGI morph. And, and <laughs> I knew coming into this film. <laughs> what are you doing? I well, <laughs> just while we're recording, my my partner Bray is creeping through like a cartoon character <laughs> sneaking somewhere because apparently she doesn't want me to know that she took some chips. Oh, she's taking the switch. Oh, you want me to know. So that's what it's like. You have to return to the scene of the chip theft. I knew this film had vampires in it. I knew it turned crazy. I knew it had monster effects in it. Uh... Uh, I I knew I knew it was at the end of her dance and Selma Hayek turning a butt. Like I yeah. knew the details. I did not know how monstrous these vampires were. Yeah, it so is, like it is so over the top. It is, and also it is it, so it, good. It was movie, there were like two there were like two types of of like monster effects. Yeah, there were like there were like CGI ones which looked 
awful. I mean, it was it was yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was 96. Yeah. Yeah. But like there's a CGI stuff which looks terrible. And then there's like Tom Savini, Greg Nicotero effects, which yeah. look so fucking good. Yeah. It it is it is everything you want from a like from a like exploitation vampire gross out movie. Well and it, every everything is goopy and like when they turn into vampires, their heads get like three times bigger. Yeah, because there's just so much. There's just so much, just like extra, like like wrinkles yeah. and like folds on their faces. It's, it's so it's so fucking fun. Well, and it just turns into a cartoon. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah, and for for, for the next like for for the next well, like for for like for forty five minutes of a movie, everyone is just everyone's just got crazy monster makeup on yeah. and it's uh, uh, it's incredible you, you get to see, you get to see Quentin Tarantino with crazy monster makeup that's great you yeah. get to see Harvey Keitel with crazy monster makeup which is great you yeah. get to see Fred Williamson <laughs> well like his, his his monster makeup is ridiculous his, his monster makeup is very clearly what Guillermo del Toro saw and said I want this but more for the uber vamps right. and blade 2 yes, yes yeah um uh, but this is better. Yes. I, uh, and like yeah, and so um, yeah, that, this makeup is better. Blade Two is the better right, film. Right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, so so uh, uh, so Summer Hayek. Uh, uh, she 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 uh, uh, she takes she takes a little bite out of uh, uh, out of Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Danny Trejo and Cheech Marin come back to life and be like, ah, we've got crazy faces now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then then there's forty five minutes of, of vampire killing. And so yeah. one by one, everyone gets picked yeah. off. Tom, Tom Savini's sex machine. He he gets uh, he yeah. gets bitten. Harvey Cartel's son. He gets bitten. Yeah. Fred Williamson gets bitten. Harvey Harvey Cartel eventually gets. Bitten. Uh, but, but, they, but that's after he uh, th- like the only kind of like narrative connection to the beginning until the very end of the film is that he regains his faith to fight off the vampires yeah. by, of course, fashioning um, a broken table leg and a shotgun into a crucifix. Yeah, but he also blesses a bunch of water to turn yeah. into holy water, and they like carve crosses into like the tips of bullets. <laughs> it's like. It's so yeah. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's like a two or three minute long montage, which is just like what? What if Buffy ran out of ideas? Yeah. I, well, I, like it's what does Buffy Buffy ran out of ideas, or uh, what if uh, Home Alone was Home Aloneing, but for vampires? Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, man, Joe Pesci is Quentin Tarantino in this film. Yeah, or Daniel Stern, mm-hmm. or. Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> like, all, all, all of those would be better choices. Isn't it interesting about how it kind of, in a way, feels like pop culture is in a holding pattern until Macaulay Culkin um, <laughs> inevitably makes an ironic appearance as himself in a film? <laughs> you know? Like, it feels like like he should have been in Zombieland too. Yeah, no, it, it, everything's just been on pause since he was in that Sonic Youth video, which has which been wait, waiting for, for, for the next, like, the next yeah. step of his career. Um. But yeah. So um. Yeah. So then, then it's just like it's like forty five minutes of vampire fighting. People get picked off. Blah blah blah. Uh, there's like even more gross vampires show up at a certain point, and they all look like crazy bat monsters now. Yeah. Which is like uh, uh which is fantastic. And uh, then uh, f- finally, um, <laughs> yeah. The, no, the, there's the, a scene of bats flying in, and you're like, I've not seen this amount of bad CG bats since I've oh, many no, times I, seen Bruce Wayne deciding to I, become I, Batman. I, I think it, at least some of those bats are practical. They're like miniatures that they like co- composited. In. Uh, then, but, then, because then, like you see the, like the close up of, of like the bat oh, faces. Yeah, and yeah. The, yeah. Oh, I'm talking about the 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 wide cloud, the shots of them with like it's like oh, a right, cloud. Right. 
I'm talking so about the shot where like you see them like finally like, flying in. There's yeah, like yeah, close, yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. No, that that that's still good. And yeah. like even bad CG is with the second half of this film is what every straight to DVD action film wishes it had <laughs> the resources to do. Right, yes. Because yeah. it is like there are character beats, but it is like five minutes of fighting, one minute of talking, five minutes of yeah. fighting, one minute of talking. And it's just I oh, so I just keep being like, I'm going to go and watch just the fight scenes from so many Robert Rodriguez <laughs> films after this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so the, the, they finally get to the end. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the dusk of the title has ended, and yep. now the dawn has happened, yep. because there are bullet holes all through the walls of this place. Uh, just as uh, Juliet Lewis and George Clooney, the two survivors, are being surrounded yep. by vampires, the like, light shines in through the bullet holes, and the vampires all explode. And uh, the, oh, no, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the light shines in through the bullet holes onto the disco oh, ball. Oh, 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 it's like, the, the, the light's shining in, but that's keeping them safe for the moment. Yeah. And then you see from from outside, there are like, like people like shooting at the door with shotguns. Yeah, and then the final character played by Cheech Marin shows up, yeah. who is like the, the person in charge of El Rey, and his him and his goons like blast through the door, and then the light shines in and hits all the vampires. It's, yeah, it's a disco ball, and the, all yeah. the vampires all explode. So yeah, then then they go outside, and they're like George comes like, hey, what the fuck? What's going on? Why do you take me to a vampire bar? And Cheech Marin's like, hey, I don't know. Yeah, hey, it's just a crazy bar. Yeah. And then uh, everything's sort of sorted out, and George Clooney goes off with them to El Rey. Juliet Lewis just sort of stands around. Yeah. She, she kind of wants to go with George Clooney. Which, no. No, yeah. no. That's one of several attempts at character beats in this that doesn't work. There's yeah. also the scene where Harvey Keitel has been bitten but not yet turned, where he's like, you have to promise me that you'll kill me. And as if they have at any point had any resistance to killing anyone at this point, it is just uh, a bizarrely flat note in another way in an otherwise symphonic explosion of violence. <laughs> yeah, and so like uh, you, you you have the, the like very last shot, which uh, I think is uh, 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 hilarious and incredible. Yeah, which is where Ju- Juliet Lewis gets in the RV, she drives off at, like down down a driveway, and they're like. Like, oh, oh, like the, the, the like driveway with the RV is like actual footage. Yeah. I mean, like everything around it, there's like a graveyard of trucks and the, the, like the top of the bar, and that's all. That's all a matte painting. And then, like, as the truck pulls away, the you zoom out of the matte painting to see. Um, <laughs> To see like an even bigger graveyard of trucks, and then like the the, the back of the bar <laughs> descends down into a giant pit, and yep. it turns out it is a giant vampire ziggurat <laughs> with with like with a giant yep. like graveyard behind it. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe the best reveal of like maybe, maybe the best reveal in like a final shot of any like it's called it's like yep. it's that an enemy yep. are like the two like best like final shots. Like oh no, everything's changed now. <laughs> um, like it's it's so fucking good it's so over the top it's so crazy and like i think this is the last movie i this is the most recent movie i can remember seeing with, with like with a with a matte painting like that and like i i fucking love a good matte painting yeah and you, you never see them anymore because like you can do that with cgi now yeah but like there's there just something so much fun you, you about how, a really about a really good matte painting you know how foley was invented by uh it's called foley because the guy invented it, it was called axel foley from <laughs> from billy hills golf yes uh, uh, I, i'm fam- i'm familiar with his song and you'll never guess what the name of the man who invented matte paintings <laughs> was <laughs> that's right Matthew painting. <laughs> um, 
yeah that's the end of the film and it's like this awesome thing of being like oh yeah no this has entirely taken place within a heavy metal concept album yes and, and, well, you know it, it's the exact yeah. same as like the final shot of mandy uh, yeah, where like yeah, yeah. He, he's driving off and you see like he's on a different planet now <laughs> yeah and there's like a giant like there's like giant like like mountains that look they're just like spearing into the sky and there's like multiple okay. like moons i like I usually, oh, he's just driving off to hell on another plane of existence. That, Fuck. Do you know what would improve the end of From Dusk Till Dawn? What? Um, uh, is if while he, we go, we, we're in the car with George Clooney, covered in blood, driving yeah. alone, then he turns and hallucinates Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> yeah. puts and on a demented <laughs> smile. Oh, if anyone hasn't seen Mandy, please go watch Mandy. Okay. A- but, again, if I know you, I'll lend you my Blu-ray of it. But also, more importantly... Uh, look up the parents' guide for Mandy <laughs> and see if uh, you. No, no, yes, no, you fair. Th- like uh, uh, that is a difficult, violent, uh, <laughs> fucked up movie. Well, like man, I feel like Mandy. The second, ha- like Mandy, uh, the second half of Mandy is like the second half of From Dusk Till Dawn, which is that if I described it to you, you would be like, that is a horrific cavalcade uh, yep. of harrowing violence. Um, when you have to be like, no, 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 it's a splat stick. It's a split stick comedy. Yeah. Um, there, there was a person that, that I knew who told me that he hated Mandy. Yeah. And then the next day I went and saw Mandy. Yeah. And uh, told him how much I loved it. And uh, <laughs> he basically hasn't talked to me since then. So, yeah. yeah. And that is an entirely understandable view. Yeah. Um, but if you like the second half of From Dusk to Dawn. Oh, look, I, I, don't, I don't judge anyone for not talking to me anymore. <laughs> I mean, that was a very judgmental look at me for not talking. So what I've just learned is that you are a liar. I was I was going for quizzical. <laughs> okay, have another go at quizzical. So what he's doing, he's raising his eyebrows, he's squinting slightly and looking at now he's he's raising his eyebrows and squinting right. more so it looks more like <laughs> uh what he looks like now, now I'm trying to do the Dreamworks face. <laughs> Dreamworks Yeah, you know you know the face that all the Dreamworks characters do? <laughs> Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. There's like an eyebrow, and there's just like an irritating smirk. I mean, every single fucking DreamWorks character does it. Yeah. Um. So that that okay. So um, so that that's uh, that that's from Dust Till Dawn. Uh, uh. So just getting nineteen million dollars. So I'm just gonna get out my security pass card here from mm-hmm. my wallet. Oh, uh, yeah. Back down into into the cave. Yeah, we're going down the steps, and now okay. So. Fact. Yeah. Uh, we're in the shot and sound cave. I love, love to be here. From Dusk Till Dawn, Shite or Sound. From Dusk Till Dawn is a shite movie that I have a lot of fun with. I think if I think the first half is shite, the yep. second half is sound, okay. shite and sound. But also with the kind of the caveat that like the splatastic fountains of gore uh, in the fight is also taking place within um, like a very in a, in terms of it's incredibly that Laura Mulvey, if she saw this film, would die. And, and I recognise that, that so much of the pleasure of the, the heights of this film is indicted by that, but I still mm. call the second half sound. Okay. Okay, now back up this. Uh, uh, okay, now I'm just going to... Oh no, there's a bunch, there's a bunch of child, Taiwanese child gangsters in our, in our room. Oh no. What are we gonna do? Oh no, they've, they've all got swords. Oh man, no, well, baseball bats, right? <laughs> um, uh, so now, and we're back. <laughs> um, I like how I'm going to apply echo to our voices, and yet we still move our yeah. eyes away from the microphone. Like, it, it, it's you know, it, it's 
it's, it's called it's called method acting. <laughs> so, Finn, what are we watching next week? Okay, so next week we are watching Eric von Stroheim's Greed. Yeah, it's a silent film. It is one of like seven films that Eric von Stroheim is uh, involved with on this on this list, uh. which is uh, exciting. Uh, I, I I know nothing about Eric von Stroheim. Yeah, but not I do know that this film uh, was originally eight hours long. Yeah, uh, I mean it was uh, cut down by uh, uh, by the anti art cretins at the studio, <laughs> and then the other six hours of it was lost. And so we just have a two hours of it. Uh, and so, of course, there is only one film which, as we know, is a glorious, peerless, bulletproof work of art, mm. which a bunch of absolute idiots got their hands on and hacked into a terrible film yep. that, that we must campaign to save. That's right, everyone. It's going to be cold. Not just cold. We're going to be made of it. That's right. It's going to be just ice. League. We're watching Justice League. Yep. Or, Sion Sono's Love Exposure started out as a seven hour long <laughs> oh, movie, no! and then uh, the fools cut it down to four hours. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. We've got enough long films later in this list. Yeah, no. Uh, well, just, just like before we start recording, we, we were like talking about some of the other films that we're going to have to do eventually. Yeah. And uh, there are going to be episodes that uh, absolutely ruin our psyches forever. Yeah. Uh, it's. Going to be one hell of a shower. <laughs> it's a long film. It is a, it is a long um, film. Anyway, if any... <laughs> still, 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 sort of feels intensive to use to, to, to yeah, say no, in that and, context, and, and also like within the context of podcasts, there are a lot of podcasts uh, by the alt right that pun on shower. Yes, there is. Uh, and let's be. Can I tell you? Okay, uh, I once ruined one of name redacted dates. Um, oh my god! But, but, um, so he, he, okay, so he sends me like memes and stuff all the time, and <laughs> one of the things he sent me once just... was was a video of a dude doing an impersonation of Henry Rollins, and because like, we're both into Henry Rollins, and yeah. he's like, oh, here's this like funny like clip from a podcast of someone doing a Henry Rollins impression on YouTube. It's just it's just it just says like Henry Rollins impression or whatever. Like look through the comments, and I could tell. Uh, that, that this uh, uh, that, that this Henry Rollins impression uh, was from uh, was from the alt right podcast The Daily Shower, and so I I I, I said name redacted. Hey, yeah. that that podcast you sent me is an alt right Holocaust denial podcast, and I was and he was like, oh shit. And then uh, a few days yeah. later, I saw him at the classic. He was on a date, and I just like offhandedly mentioned <laughs> that he sent me a link to an alt right podcast okay. while his date was there, and like about ten minutes later, she left. It's often uh, uh, they now um, shorten it to TDS. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah. So the people, lots of people like saying TDS in, in the comments. Yeah, and I was yeah, familiar yeah. enough with the, with the show. Um, uh, there's a, knew, there's yeah. a great podcast called uh, I Don't Speak German, which is uh, two guys, um, one who's kind of been within the alt right's inner circles, talking about uh, what they're like. You'll never guess they're not as bad as we think. They are much much worse. Yep. And can I actually bring up, while we're talking about alt-right podcasting, I'm an anxious man, as I've discussed at length, I believe, on this podcast, <laughs> and a thought that occasionally hits me is because we are so irony-poisoned and so much of our humour is sarcastic, <laughs> and I just I think about the bit where we talk about how, and I just want to be absolutely clear for a moment that... <laughs> Well, because I, 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 mean, I, 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 I think an idiot listening to this may think that we secretly agree with them. I think, I'm pretty sure there was an episode where I explicitly called people to assassinate Boris Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I just want to be clear. Fuck Nazis. Yeah, no, and, yeah obviously. 
Oh yeah, no, 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 no. They can all fall in a hole and die. And yeah, and and uh, it's interesting doing this at all because oh, you know my first impression of you when I first saw you at a Raw Monday. <laughs> what, what was this? I was like, hey, well, he's probably a Nazi. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's what a lot of people thought. Well, because your material were, uh, was about pornography. Uh, I, I, I had I had one bit about pornography, and, yeah. it was, and it was mainly about media studies. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and the other half was about how you don't think media studies is a good discipline. Um, uh, which I just and it is just that thing of like I, you didn't say anything fashy, yeah, because you wouldn't. <laughs> I have this terrible fear that there is one person in our audience who's like, oh, the the great thing is that they they definitely agree with me uh, and, and they're, they're joking about all the stuff and saying the stuff to sound work. And I just want to be like, if you're, if you're listening and think that, like, actually no... I mean, I think like seeing as like like how 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 many of our episodes are like like about praising movies that are about like uh, structural racism and like yeah, how capitalism that, you know, like right. poisons us all. I, I, I think I think but but by this point, people people would understand. Yeah, you're right. Oh, uh, it is just that I have. Uh, I, I remember a while ago on Twitter, you you describe this podcast as uh, uh, you describe this podcast as furiously left wing. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that comes through. I I, I just well, yeah. I just hope it is. Yeah, I was yeah. just very worried. Uh, very worried that it wasn't. You can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod. You can email us at uh, ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. You can find our website at ShiteAndSound.com. And next week, Halloween week itself, at Bats Theatre in Wellington, um, the new series of The Witching Hours, my live recorded uh, anthology of audio drama, mm-hmm. um, is, is being performed. And uh, it's full of weird, hilarious, gross icky and oddly touching stuff it's going to be a really great time um, yeah, I, I i would be there myself to to, to see it if, if i if i was allowed back in wellington <laughs> why aren't you allowed in wellington uh, uh you know let, let's uh let's hope i come up with a funny uh, answer oh, okay. for this. <laughs> <laughs> um and it would be great to see you there every night the content is all new yeah um so get down there yeah. Uh, is there something else? Oh, the theme song uh, of this here show playing under me right now, I, I presume, um, is The Nux by Kazam Blam. N- named after, of course, everyone's favorite character from, from Mad Max Fury Road, Nux. <laughs> oh, I, th- I thought you were going to go with from it's the Sonic universe. Nope. Huh. I mean, I'm more of a Tales guy myself. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm more of a oh, never, Shadow I've the ne- Hedgehog. I've, I've never played any of those games. Who is uh, Sonic's human girlfriend? Yeah, I was. I was trying to think of her name. Have Could, you? Have no idea. Have you ever done the thing where you Google your name, the Hedgehog? Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't. You, and I was like, I'll be immune to this. There wouldn't be a youth of the Hedgehog fan creation. Yeah. Yeah, there is. <laughs> I think like, the, the, the like main thing I know, like all my knowledge about Sonic comes from uh, uh, all, all my knowledge about Sonic comes from either uh, I, comes like I, I either the to... H Bomber guy videos about about yeah. Sonic or uh, uh, from Dan McCoy's Twitter feed. I, 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 uh, I was so sure, like I, I would have written on a piece of paper and handed it to you, just like impreg porn. <laughs> like, well, like well, have you seen Dan McCoy's Twitter feed? Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen Dan McCoy's Twitter feed, check it out. Check it out at https colon slash slash www.twitter.com slash d-a-n-k-m-c-c-o-y. Yeah. That is 
HTTP. Or you just go on Twitter and, and search at Dank McCoy, and you'll find Twitter. And he, 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 he's like he, he's the, the one good Donald Trump reply guy. Yeah, because all he does is just is just send back like impreg porn of 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 like Mario and Sonic every time Donald Trump tweets. Uh, and to find out about impreg porn, uh, go, to, go, go to anywhere on the internet. HTTP is colon no. slash slash www dot G-O-G-G. <laughs> no, not Google. G- Google.com. Now, um, go to your settings and turn safe search from either strict uh, to off. Yeah. Uh, you got to go to the safe, safe search yeah. settings and make sure it's not set on WIMP. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, click uh, back into the main website. Click on the image search yeah. function. And then in the search field, just write, I don't want to see anymore. <laughs> Um, and I want to be clear about something. I think uh, Sonic is boring, Imprig porn is weird, and anyone who likes either of those things should feel shame. <laughs> like in the film, shame. shame. Um, no, uh, 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 no. See, mm-hmm. that's one of those things where I'm like, I really hope people understand the levels of irony I'm expressing, <laughs> which I'm aware is just the absolute, the most fucking bullshit 33-year-old millennial. Like just people... I hope people Let's understand. Let's end the podcast. This is going to go on all night. I hope people understand. Uh, Finn, I've got to get a clean take. I think... I hope... No, um, We've been doing this for nine hours. Um, yeah. Uh, we uh, and, it, and it is uh, night now. Yep. Um, uh, it it would have been slightly earlier on night if you had remembered what day we were recording. Mm, yep. That's right. I'm shaming you on a bit of the podcast. Both of us will cut out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. It's over. Bah. No. Movies are good. Go Even bad it. ones. He was so keen. He was uh, already standing. Well, so I, I forgot we had a catchphrase. <laughs> I was just wanted to end the podcast. Movies are good. Even bad ones. Oh, you want me to do that time? Yeah, that's what we've done. That's okay. the pattern we've worked out. You say go watch it. Okay. Movies are good. <laughs> <laughs> Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go watch them. <laughs> Pepper Frighten is on DVD for like five years now. I've never oh, yeah. seen it. I'll, I'm going to watch it this year because, I mean, why not? No, it was recommended on the Flophouse once, so that, ca- that count- counts one more towards oh. my goal of seeing 100 <laughs> Flophouse recommended movies for the first time this year. Uh, I desperately... I, this is another one of those times where I just tell you that you yeah. just date... Just, nah. just go on dates. Absolutely not. I, I mean, it's hard now because of COVID... But I don't think that's what's keeping you from finding someone to share your life with. And and to be clear, I'm saying that to you knowing that, like, you've got a good few heartbreaks ahead of you. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself in the past. Yeah. <laughs> you've got a good few heartbreaks running, and you've just got to get them out of the way. Um, and I think that having your heart broken is better than the Frighteners. <laughs> and it's definitely better than Meet the Feebles. 